0: Hello and welcome to Stealth Boom Boom, a fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game's stealth and its boom boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin O'Hearn and joining me on this episode is a man that stays his blade from the flesh of the innocent, it's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him is someone that never compromises the brotherhood, it's Josh Wise. Hello. I don't. It's true. Well, I I thought that those intros were fitting for the game, but also true of your character as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Adam, how many times, like, I don't think you've ever used your blade on the flesh of the innocent. As far as I'm aware, anyway, I hope.
1: It's such an intense description. No, I have not. I'm, I only use it on my butter.
0: Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Al Mualim would think of you, but uh, at least in, in maybe Desmond and Lucy, they'd be happy enough that you just use it on butter. Yeah. But we're get, getting ahead of ourselves, lads. Before we talk about the game that we're going to be discussing today, we have to transport ourselves back to the time that the game came out. So... Tonight, we're going to party like it's November the 13th, 2007. (laughs) Before we chat about the game, yes, we do need to get into the right headspace. So let let us delve into what was happening in the world on and around the 13th of November, 2007. So just over a week prior, on the 5th of November, Google... Do you know them? Uh, They entered the the mobile space by unveiling Android. Also on the 5th, Kimi Raikkonen beat Lewis Hamilton by a single point to win his first and his only Formula One championship. Also on the 5th, a lot of things happening on the 5th of November it appears, 12,000 film and television screenwriters in America went on strike. Of course, yes. Yeah. It lasted until February of 2008. And it's typically the reason that your favourite television show has one shorter season than the rest of the uh, the seasons. Lost
2: was a big one. Lost, like season four, I think it was. It only had like 12 episodes. And did it affect 24? It affected everything. But yeah. I remember
0: the first season of Breaking Bad was during that. So the first season of Breaking Bad has like six, Seven, oh, eight six six, seven I don't know why. Uh, I
2: didn't know that. Do you know that's, that's still the only Breaking Bad I've seen? I've only watched the first season. And I quite liked it, but I never cracked on. You said that's enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I just went, yeah, well, that's he broke. He broke bad. It's all good, you know. I wish him well. Um, mm. Bye and fun. <laughs> I could see the appeal. <laughs> in music
0: in America, a song that I have never heard of before called Kiss Kiss. No, not by Holly Valance, but by the not very nice man, Chris Brown, featuring T-Pain. That was top of the American music charts. I looked it up and I had a listen. I was like, maybe I just don't know the name. I was like, no, I have no idea. I don't think that was a hit on this side of the the Atlantic. In the UK, however, I am well aware of of the number one in the UK. It was... X Factor winner Leona Lewis Oh my god in the number one slot with I keep bleeding I keep keep bleeding love
2: Of course that song it haunts my brain Yeah it's awful
0: In movies Ridley Scott Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington came together and made absolute Bang. Oh, American Gangster. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In both America and the UK with American Gangster.
2: It's a cracker. It's a bloody cracker. Really good two-hander. Two great leads chewing up the scenery, going after each other. It's good fun.
0: So that was that's what was happening on the thirteenth of November and around the thirteenth of November. So now we can I feel like we're in that place. I'm comfortable. Let us talk about the game that we are discussing today in something we like to call back of The Box. I'm sure if you've seen the title of today's episode, you're already aware. I don't know how you would have pressed play without seeing the title. But if you did, let me reveal to you that the game we're talking about today is Assassin's Creed small little indie game from France there may be some people who haven't played it and to, in a sentence it is a third person action adventure game set in the 12th century in the Holy Land where you play as a bloodthirsty but very fashionable detective mm. they have some lovely threads joke. Yeah. <laughs> it came out initially on the 360 and Playstation 3 in America on yes the 13th of November in Europe three days later and in Australia a couple of days after that on the 21st of November 2007. And then the version that myself and Josh played, I think, because Adam played the PlayStation 3 version, Mm. but the one myself and Josh played was Assassin's Creed Director's Cut on the PC. And that came out a couple of months after the initial (laughs) release date. In America it was the 8th of April 2008. Then it was in Australia on the 10th of April and in Europe the day after that. And I mean, I guess we could quickly mention here there's not a terrible amount of difference between the uh, xbox 360 and ps3 version and the pc version uh, there are some some mission types are different josh there's like four mission types i think
2: yeah th- three or four little extra side activities like like little archery ones and that but yeah just a little tiny bit of extra spice but nothing major
0: but let me tell you what's on the back of the physical box as well as I like to do in this section of the podcast I'm actually holding the my original PlayStation 3 copy in my hands oh nice and what you have at the top are the words Beautiful. Experience the power of the assassin. Mm. You're like, damn right I will. There's a blurb about the Altair. It's all about Altair mm. on, on the back of the box. There's nothing about the Desmond modern day bits, which we will talk about. And there are like four different images, clearly bullshots, making the game look far better <laughs> than it actually does. Not that, you know, we might talk about that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, one has Altair looking at a crowd below him. There are two action stabby shots. And there's one where he's on a horse. And the text underneath each image is obviously a tad embellished, right? Mm. Because underneath one of the action shots, you have quote, experience heavy action. Use a wide range of medieval weapons and face your enemies in realistic sword fight duels. End quote. Now a couple of problems here. Wide range?
1: Mm. A wide
0: range of medieval weapons. <laughs> you got four. <laughs> Five if you include your fists. Five maybe, yeah. But like, yeah, re- realistic sword fight duels. I, I don't know. I've never been in a sword fight. Yeah,
2: can't vouch for that, I'm afraid.
0: Maybe these are realistic, perhaps. So yeah, that's what's on the, the back of the box. So let me give you a bit of a synopsis of the story. This is, I mean, if you don't know what Assassin's Creed is, this is going to sound a bit wild, but I'll try, and, I'll try and break it down for you. So, a bartender with a white hoodie named Desmond Miles, is kidnapped by a pharmaceutical company called Abstergo Industries and he's brought to a very large room. A very large room. It's
2: massive, yeah.
0: (laughs) Space is very poorly used. In the room, there's something called the Animus. And the Animus is a hard, contoured, very white, glass bed slash table. A bed, I suppose, Mm. really, that Desmond lies upon. And the Adamus also allows the person who's strapped into it to tap into their own genetic memories (laughs) and relive moments of their ancestors' lives. Because, in short, memories are passed down through generations via DNA. Mm. A character called Vidic, who I, I'll mention in a second uh, more in depth, but he goes into this, and it's it, it's a real thing that people in real life think as well. But in Asa- in the in the world of Assassin's Creed, it's just fact. So <laughs> cool, cool. Yes. Yeah. So Abstergo want to strap Desmond into this thing because they want to know some specifics about the life of one of Desmond's relatives who lived in the eleven hundreds, called Al ibn La Ahad. Now, thankfully. I'm only I'm only going to call him Maltier from from now on. But mm.
2: I think that went okay. I think they, I think you did well on that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: So so that's what the Abstergo representatives the guy I previously mentioned Vidic or Warren Vidic for my eyes, there was a defender for Man United. I was just going to... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's
0: exactly <laughs> what
2: I thought as well. Exactly what I thought.
0: It's, it's not Vidic. He's, he's Nemanja Vidic. Nemanja Vidic,
2: yeah. For,
0: for Man United. But I was like, okay, if he's called Vidic in this world, i will call him Vidic. And you have, uh, yeah, another... The other person who's with Desmond in the big white room is called uh, Lucy Stillman. Mm. So they basically get Desmond to go back in time albeit a a simulated version of, what's his name, Altaïr's memories. So, then you have Altaïr's story, which takes place in 1191, during the Third Crusade in the Holy Land, when some Europeans wanted to expend their territories. So, at the beginning of Altaïr's story, he's a disgraced member of the Assassin's Brotherhood. In short, while he's looking for treasure, treasure, he completely balls up and basically the leader of the assassins, Al Mualim he tells Altair that he needs to put this right by murdering nine people. Mm. If Altair does that, then Al Mualim will be happy and the world will be a more peaceful place because these nine lads are bad news, Mm. says Al Mualim. (laughs) Don't question me. (laughs) Uh, So as Altair murders all these targets, he has a weird sci-fi conversation with them like they're in a digital heaven for a bit or something just when he's about to kill them. I never got that. What is that?
2: I, I don't know it couldn't I have happened know. and it didn't it, yeah it really annoys me that they never explain it yeah,
0: yeah I, I don't know if, if you've played the game you know what I'm talking about if you haven't you don't but honestly it's kind of it doesn't really matter <laughs> anyway during these conversations Altair learns that he's been killing people that are members of the Templar Order which is an Illuminati type organisation that's looking to rule the world basically they want to put a stop to the Crusades and rule the Holy Land and they're also the sworn enemies of the Assassins which is handy for narrative purposes. Mm-hmm. Then, when Altair kills his final target, Robert, Robert de, de sob Altair learns that his boss... I will say the guy who asked him to kill nine people <laughs> who dresses in black black robes has a big beard and speaks in quite an I'm the real bad guy tone uh, shock horror he's a Templar and he's the big bad of the game the big you know, oh, wow yeah <laughs>
3: wow
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Altair, the, as Altair then you have to go back to Al Mualim for the final showdown where Al Mualim reveals the reason he had Altair killing all those other Templars is because Al Mualim has a piece of treasure that he Uh, wanted all for himself called the Apple of Eden so Al Mualim says that religion is just a load of bollocks and every massive inexplicable event in the text was actually created by this Apple of Eden which is essentially just able to create illusions so Al Mualim says he's going to use the Apple to brainwash everyone and be an absolute legend right (laughs) but then Altair's like "Mm." I don't know about that. That doesn't sound too good. So then they're like, right, let's fight. So And, and in this fight, Al Mualim uses the Apple of Eden to kind of clone himself. Mm. And you as Al-Tayr have to figure out, oh, there are three or four Al Mualims in front of me. Which one is the real Al Mualim, right? That's the big thing that Al Mualim does with the Apple of Eden. Mm. I will say, this is mere moments after he has told you that the Apple of Eden can make it look like you have parted the Red Sea (laughs) but I guess he just he chooses to be more subtle in combat sure eventually Altair kills Al Mualim then he picks up the Apple of Eden and the artifact activates and shows a a holograph of the globe there are dots all around showing other pieces of Eden all around the world it's like oh here are the next 95 Assassin's (laughs) Creed games potentially (laughs) and then all while this is happening in the modern day Desmond Miles is learning that Abstergo is a company that the Templars had actually set up as a front. The bastards. Mm. Ooh, they're all bad. (laughs) So once Abstergo have seen that globe that Altaïr saw, they have what they want. So they then go, cheers for that, Desmond. We're going to go off looking for the rest of the pieces of Eden around the globe. Then Desmond ends the game still trapped in the Abstergo building, but now he has Altair's eagle vision, which we'll probably explain when we're talking about the game itself. Anyway, now Desmond can see absolutely mad stuff written all over the walls and on the floor. Things that you can't see with the naked eye. And then credits. Mm. That, that That's effectively the story of Assassin's Creed. And I think we have a, a decent amount to say about it. So <laughs> we'll give you our thoughts on it. But before that... I do need to, and please strap in. I'm, I'm going to be throwing a lot of information at you lads, but I think hopefully it'll be interesting. So the Thank developer behind this is Ubisoft Montreal. And to tell their story, you first have to go back to 1996 when the parent company, the publisher, Ubisoft, went public. They raised around $80 million and they opened up new studios in a couple of different countries, one of them being Canada. And in the summer of 97, that's when Ubisoft Montreal opened its doors. And according to Ubisoft Montreal CEO, Yannis Mallet, I think it's Mallet. I, it, if, to my eyes, it should be Mallet, but I'm pretty sure it's Mallet. Hmm. No relation to Timmy, I think. But Yannis, <laughs> in a 2014 interview with IGN, he said, quote, the founding myth of this studio is that we took a bunch of young people, we gave them PCs, and we said, make games. And they were absolutely not game developers at the time. They didn't know how to make a game whatsoever at all. (laughs) For the first four years of the developer's life, they worked on licensed games, most of which you probably haven't heard of. I mean, I hadn't until I was researching them. So 1998 we've spoken about in this podcast like it's a big year even just for like stealth or stealthy games with Metal Gear Solid Tensor Stealth Assassins Thief but of course the fourth big hitter was Laura's Happy Adventure a Playmobil game of course there was also Donald Duck going Quackers which is in the early 2000s you had the Jungle Book Groove Party, there was a Tarzan game, they did a Batman game. Didn't quite hit the note the Arkham series did, Batman Vengeance. Oh, I like that game. Yeah, it's not as good as Arkham, but it is It is it's quite nice. But then, 2002 came, and it all changed. And it all changed with a fella who wore night vision goggles that would make a t- noise... And that man was Sam Fisher. Now, we're going to talk about Splinter Cell loads. Uh, So we don't need to dwell on that here. Splinter Cell will get its own time to shine. But around the time they started working on Splinter Cell, Ubisoft acquired the Prince of Persia license and they got to work on a new game. And that game was Prince of Persia Sands of Time. And they got the series creator, Jordan Mechner, on board to design the game. And it was a massive success. It sold more than 14 million copies and this is when you really know you've made it. The Prince was on a postage stamp in France.
2: Oh wow. That's
0: that's big time.
2: That's mad. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Christ. And a great game, by the way, Sands of Time, Stone Cold Classic. Absolutely brilliant. So they
0: followed up Sands of Time with two sequels then that were pretty well received. At least at the time, mm. I think history maybe has been rewritten a little bit. A but little bit. you've Warrior Warrior Within and the Two Thrones. Warrior Within did well sales wise, about million in its uh, first month the two thrones uh, not as good but still million and a half in its first month mm, not bad in ubisoft Montreal's story that's where the prince of persia history things start to get a little bit weird here but we don't have to do that because we talk about the developer up to this point so lovely <laughs> stuff um but all that prince of persia stuff is relevant because after sands of time released In January 2004, someone at Ubisoft Montreal called Patrice d'Essalée was working on a Prince of Persia game with a team of just 12 people. And that game was called Prince of Persia Assassins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see see what's Mm -hmm. happening here now? It's all connecting. It's all connecting. Mm -hmm. So this idea was fleshed out. In it, the player would be a bodyguard of the princes. They'd be murdering Templar knights in a white robe as a member of the Hashashin, And yeah, there was was a prototype made. The prototype was super ambitious. It had multiplayer, it had horses, it had great crack. But obviously, quite early on, someone realised, look, this isn't a Prince of Persia game. Mm. And they said, I think this should probably be turned into its own thing. That thing became Assassin's Creed. And that young fella called Patrice Desley became its creative director and a, a very famous name when it comes to Assassin's Creed or just Ubisoft as a whole. The game started life as a PS2 game before the team's ambitions grew and also you had the launch of new hardware as well in the 360 and the PS3. And Ubisoft designer at the time, Philippe Morin told IGN that, quote, the idea of making an open world game came up around September 2004, not long after producer Jade Raymond came on board. And I mostly include that quote because Raymond is, along with Desolée, often credited as one of the game's co-creators and basically a pivotal person in the game's history and someone you're going to hear loads of uh, when we're talking about the marketing around this game. But yeah, the, the game grew in size with its uh, three cities, social stealth, uh, and Altair got a name. Altair uh, means bird of prey in Arabic, or at least that's what Ubisoft's saying. They're <laughs> I, mean, I hope they're right. In, in other words, the first Assassin's Creed was taking shape. Uh, one one thing I did want to mention was on the, the sci-fi element. In the Polygon article, the oral history of Assassin's Creed, the cinematics art director, Nicola Canto, I'm going to say. They said, quote, marketing was a little bit cold about the idea. They were not sure about it because if you want to sell a medieval game, do people want to go back in time and realise that it's not the true experience? They weren't sure about it. If you look at the first E3 trailer we did, it was all about the medieval aspect of it, the under siege city. You enter that big city, but at the end of it, in the last seconds, we added a glitch, a modern glitch, End quote. And, in fairness, if you ask a lot of the general public, they probably would have agreed with marketing. But, we're going to talk about the modern day loads, I know, in a bit anyway. So yeah, that's the history of Ubisoft Montreal, more or less, up until the launch of Assassin's Creed in 2007. I've left out a couple of things, like Splinter Cell. I've also left out any mention of Rainbow Six or Far Cry, because... I think we've decided they might also come under the banner of a Stealth Boom Boom game as well. Yeah, yeah. I've also left out any mention of the uh, how Desolée and Ubisoft parted ways because that happens a few years after this. Mm. That's essentially the story of the developer. Now, the publisher, Ubisoft we got to go back to the 1980s, lads, mm. when, funnily enough, people were parting like it was 1999. <laughs> and we go to Brittany in France, where the Guimau family are there farming. Good farming stock. <laughs> the sons of the Guimau family, they help with a variety of aspects on the farm, including trying to diversify the family business. So one of the initiatives was to set up a shop where farmers could buy equipment and just other bits and bobs. One of those bobs, weirdly, I don't know why, but one of those bobs, it's video games. <laughs> and because the family they dealt with farmers in the UK and they saw the rise in popularity of gaming in the UK, they thought there might be money in in, in this in this crack. And then by 1986, the Gimot brothers were pulling in nearly six million dollars, and they decided to make it official in March by setting up UB Space Soft space entertainment. Ubisoft, meaning ubiquitous software,
2: (laughs) which is terribly (laughs) exciting, isn't it? I I just can't get over doing video games when you're on a farm.
0: They set up a proper office in the the summer and they hired quite a few to begin producing their own games, most of which are unknown to many people. But one of their first was a game called Zombie, Z-O-M-B-I which was obviously a precursor to Zombie U, 2012 Zombie U on the Wii U, or it then came to like PC. I think it eventually came to everything, pretty much. The next couple of years saw big growth, with the company continuing to publish more and more games. In 1995 then, you had their first big hit, with that beautiful, limbless bastard, Rayman. Yeah. What a man. In, what a man, what a man, what a mighty <laughs> Rayman. In 2011, Yves Gimot was speaking to Game Informer for the article, UB Uncensored, the history of Ubisoft by the people who wrote it. And Gimos said, quote, There were only nine games available on the PlayStation when we shipped Rayman in 1995. So customers didn't have much choice but to try this one. The press had to test this one so they could really look at the depths of the game and the quality. If we had shipped it one year later, it wouldn't have been as big a success because there would have been too many games. It took us probably 18 months before the game was profitable, but it continued, 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 and became immensely profitable with time. Hmm. As I already mentioned, the company went public in 96, raised some cash, which allowed them to expand to, as well as Canada, China, and Italy. And they made some more cash over the next couple of years by having the brothers splinter off, setting up free-to-play games companies and mobile games companies, one of which was Gameloft. Ah. they had more money in the war chest as well and they bought privately mm. purchase firm they bought red storm entertainment which was the video game developer f- uh, founded by the american novelist tom clancy hmm. so again as i said i'm not going to go too deep into into the tom clancy stuff b- because it's for another time but in short this acquisition saw ubisoft kind of plant a flag in america then, in the ensuing years, they obviously had the Prince of Persia acquisition, which I've already covered. And they also had, in 2003, Ubisoft's first big flop, which was Beyond Good and Evil. And again, in that Game Informer interview, Gimo said, quote, It's a shame that you can do such an innovative game and that people feel that because there is a pig and it's not adapted totally to the audience, you don't sell the volume you expected, end quote. It is a problem isn't it when you put a pig in your game people are like fuck this shit <laughs> then in 2004 UB had looked like they might be bought by EA in that Game Informer interview again Gimo said quote one guy from EA called me on a Sunday afternoon saying we just bought 20% of your company so we just wanted to tell you that because it is going to be public tomorrow at the time EA was trying to buy Activision and they were close to a deal that was a big shock for us We asked what they wanted to do and they said we don't know yet. So we had discussions with managers and my brothers and different people involved and so we decided to reject the potential offer. It really shook the company a lot and so we became very focused on making no mistakes to make sure that they couldn't find a way to, you know, get in. It changed the way we were conducting the business and made sure that everything would be profitable for sure and we took fewer risks. It stopped us from buying companies. It didn't help us to expand the way we wanted at that time. And then a brief aside, six years later, EA sold their shares in 2010. We're kind of up to the point where the game we're talking about today came out, that point, that game being Assassin's Creed, and it just takes Ubisoft into another stratosphere already while they're riding high on some of the, the Tom Clancy stuff and the Prince of Persia games as well. Uh, so yeah, that is the story of Ubisoft. It's quite a story. Mm. The sales of this one, Assassin's Creed, as of April 2009, it's the most recent figure I could find, Assassin's Creed had sold 8 million copies. It's it's fair to assume they probably sold a couple of more in that uh, few years that followed. Hmm. I, I'm guessing. In <laughs> November 2007, its first month on sale, it was the 10th best-selling game in America just shy of Halo 3 in the number nine spot. And in 2007, overall, it was the ninth best-selling game, uh, just behind Guitar Hero 2. Mm. In the UK, in its first week on sale, it took the number one spot, knocking Call of Duty 4 down to number two. Uh, The critical reception of this one is mostly, mostly the same across the board. On Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, it scored an 81, whilst the Assassin's Creed Director's Cut edition, which came out on the PC a couple of months after the 316 PS3 version, that got a 79. And that is your summary, yes, summary, on (laughs) Assassin's Creed. And yeah, I know, a lot to take in, lads, but there's a lot of information to go into when yeah. it comes to We're gonna
2: sort of like plug ourselves into the animus of Ubisoft and download the genetic memories of the company. So, something like that. Or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So like let's
0: let's take a quick break where the people at home can listen to an Assassin's Creed trailer and we will come back to discuss the marketing and press coverage around the game's release. So we'll be back. In just a tick.
4: The Holy Land, twelve centuries after the birth of Christ. Him,
3: him. Stop the
4: it was a time of
1: fear. Stop him. Not him.
4: A time of
1: war. Don't let him get away.
4: And the only hope of ending the bloodshed lay in the hands of history's most notorious killers. Paltay
5: I hold here a list. Nine men who need to die. They are plague bringers. Who dare disrespect me? Or Mikas. Like his legs, both of them. Their ah! power and influence corrupts the land and ensures the crusades continue. These men must be destroyed. Have you any questions?
4: Only where I need begin. Shrouded in secrecy. These creatures cling to the shadows. Trained from birth to master the art of death.
1: The streets run red with the blood of his victims.
4: The brothers hunted their prey without rest.
1: You don't
5: frighten me. Show yourself.
4: Delivered the killing blow without mercy. And escaped to fight another day. He's over
5: there. Don't let him get away.
4: For they were the assassins. And that was their creed.
0: Okay, let's get into it, lads. The the marketing and the press coverage around Assassin's Creed up to the game's launch. Strap yourselves in, lads. This is going to be... We've a lot to talk about. (laughs) And I think as people who lived through it, we even know that it was a big game. It was a big game even before it came out. Let's look at the, the, the marketing first before we discuss some of the press coverage because, I mean, there's just a ludicrous amount of coverage of this game. But marketing-wise, I could have picked out more. I could have picked out the Massive Attack trailer. There's a lot of other things. There was a thousand dev diaries. I've tried to be a bit picky with what I have chosen and tried to find a few interesting sound bites. The first thing I wanted to talk to you lads about was this little featurette It's about nine minutes long, and it's called The Making of Assassin's Creed. And in it, you have the creative director, Patrice Desolée. He's essentially playing host. He's the the presenter of the piece, and he's introducing the viewer to all the various teams that are working on the game, like the combat, the climbing, the cinematics, etc., etc. The clip I want to play is near the beginning, where Desolée... He's talking about the game and he's making it sound a bit like an immersive sim. And he's probably overselling it a tad.
2: A little bit. Maybe. Yeah.
0: Here's Desolée on uh, how, how you can play Assassin's Creed the way that you want to play Assassin's Creed.
6: My favorite aspect of the game is that I can play Altair or the Assassin the way I want. If I want to be really calm and low profile in the world, I can do it. And then when it's time to be badass and fight, I can just switch and now be that really action-packed character. You're the co-creator. Of the experience,
2: let's say.
0: It almost works up until that last sentence.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit much. I wouldn't describe myself as a co-creator of the experience. I mean... You'd be very wealthy. I you, would, you, yeah, I absolutely would, yeah. Be. But yeah, I mean, mainly just those two things. He sort of sells it like it's, yeah, I think Immersive Sim is right. It's like, really, he has just laid out the only two options you have. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but yeah, yeah. no
0: I know because we've spoken about this before we hit record sadly the two of you didn't get to watch the videos simply titled Assassin's Creed Video Blog 1 and Assassin's Creed Video Blog 2 that's because they just they wouldn't play the links wouldn't play for you which is a real shame because they're absolutely cracking <laughs> I cannot stress enough how much I love these because of how non-Ubisoft they are. Hmm. It's a 10 minute run through where Jade, the Assassin's Creed producer and co-creator Jade Raymond, is taking you through yeah a 10 minute walk through of the office where she's chatting to different people. She's basically playing host. She's a microphone. She's asking him, oh, what did you do in the game? Et cetera, et cetera. I like it because of how it just feels like there's a sort of this energy at the studio and how people are genuinely excited about this game and outside influences or, you know, the fact that it needs to be annualised or any of that. None of that has come into the equation yet. Hmm. We're just people figuring it out and, you know, having a crack. One clip I wanted to play from it, there were two. The first one is where Jade Raymond is talking to Patrice Desolais, uh, who, a Desolée who was listening to his iPod at the time, like even when she comes up to him with a camera and a microphone, he's like, oh, like it, it all feels really genuine. <laughs> and these people are working on one of the biggest games of all time, basically. It reminded me a bit of our Monaco episode and what Andy Schatz was doing with uh, Pocket Watch games. Yeah,
1: yeah, the vlogs, yeah. Here <laughs> is
0: uh, Jade Raymond talking to Patrice Desolée. And, I mean, I can we can talk about it afterwards, but just listen to how...
7: And what about the Assassin vision?
6: That was, it's almost a dream come true. Uh, I wanted to do an epic historical piece, uh, get rid of a little bit of the fantasy world in which games are like, uh, put in, and make something more human, with people, people in our world, not only like monsters, but crowds, and, and you can really interact with, uh, with them all.
7: Sorry, I can't help but laughing because it's very funny to be interviewing Patrice when we work together and we've been working together for like two years, so <laughs> actually it's weird for him to be explaining this. Anyways, just FYI, as a gamer, if you think of yourself, like what parts are you most excited to actually play with yourself? Because I know for me, like we hear all these ideas and there's some things you can't wait to actually see in the game.
6: When I play GTA, for example, I am the guy and you know I don't like to run in front of a policeman. It doesn't make any sense for me, so I try to play the, the character and I... And you will be able to play Altair as a real medieval assassin if you want to. And now my cell phone is ringing, which has never happened in that one. I mean, an interview and bingo. (laughs) Anyway,
0: The fact that one Raymond goes like, this is so weird. I work with you and I'm interviewing you. And then his phone goes off. If that happens today and they're doing the exact same video... No way is that making the call. No. Yeah.
2: It just, it feels so fresh. And that's a, that's a sadness that we kind of don't have that approach. Now you're right. It'd be yeah. completely squeezed of life now. It'd be super corporate dressed in real snazzy suits they're, there's a real nice hangout vibe to that little video yeah.
1: thing. You, you, you basically, that's exactly what I was going to say pretty much, Josh, is that like they're, they're so giddy about it. They can tell, you can tell how excited they are and <laughs> Like you, you, if there's if more of that still exists today, I'm, I'm sure it is, but we don't see it. No,
0: not at that level. Not not when it comes to a a, a Ubisoft. There was another clip uh, from the video blog where Raymond is talking to Matthew Mazzaroli who is the lead engineer, and Raymond is asking Mazzaroli about the climbing and how next gen Assassin's Creed is basically and how it's different to, to other games. And what uh, the engineer says is something that I saw Raymond and Desley talk about on the press tour in other videos. It's basically real pie-in-the-sky type stuff. I don't think they're lying. I think that they want it to be the way, they are, uh, the way they're talking about the climbing in...
2: This video. You think it's like a little bit like, of a, like a Molyneux situation where it's like, the guy doesn't mean to deceive, he's just running away with his imagination. I think that's
0: it. This, it was probably the hope. But look, here is the lead engineer, Matthew Mazzarole talking about how the, the next genness ness and the, the climbing of Assassin's
8: Creed. And the big difference is in most games, your path is very much fixed and you have a series of level designers that are sort of making a maze for the player and the player just kind of goes from point A to point B to point C. And Assassin's, we just threw that whole idea out the window. So now, basically, you just build buildings, and the game actually completely detects all the time what a handhold is, what a foothold is, and how to move the character and shift his weight and blend the animations to give a realistic look. And this sounds, you know, really kind of techy on the outside, but what really actually happens when you get the joystick in your hand and you're moving around is you realize you can do absolutely anything anywhere, and it just completely changes the whole experience. Uh, you know, being able to, like, climb up on a Building where you know and find yourself in an unexpected place. Well, to us, it's not ex- unexpected. It's the status quo. You know, we don't have places where we prevent the player from going. And this has been uh, the, a big challenge for us. But once we kind of realized the freedom that this gives, uh, it's it's a challenge that we're all striving to realize, just because of the the openness this gives and the the kind of uh, next level this takes the gameplay to.
0: I know we're probably going to be talking about the climbing, so we don't have to get into it here, but. That, that's an idea of what was being pitched. Anything, anywhere. As I mentioned, there were dev diaries. There were tons of other things I could have included. The game was on stage during Microsoft's E3 2007 press conference. So yeah, there's a little snapshot of the marketing. So let's now take a look at how the press was covering the game. So firstly, some news. The very first news article I could find on the internet about Assassin's Creed was posted on the 16th of September 2005 and it's titled TGS 2005 Project Assassin's Impressions and it lives on GameSpot. Basically, the article is about the fact that Sony's showing off trailers to press at Tokyo Game Show and one of the trailers was for a game called Quote Project Assassins and this is the Assassin's Creed slash Prince of Persia thing that we were talking about earlier that was then spun off into uh, its own Assassin's Creed game. But here's a quote from the article. The trailer is very teaser-like in nature, lasting only for a, a few seconds. The game appears to take place in some sort of medieval setting and shows a man with a retractable blade attempting to assassinate a man wearing chain mail on his head. The trailer is very focused on the retractable blade, showing the internal workings and gears of how exactly this man has hidden a blade up the arm of his shirt. Yeah, I, I put a little video in for the two of you lads to watch. I think this is a separate one. This isn't the the same video that the, that article is talking about. But I I put in a video of basically what the, the prototype of the Prince of Persia assassins thing looked like. Yeah,
2: well, you, I thought it was really, it reminded me a little bit of... Um... You know when we were sort of talking about the ghost Ghost of a Tale uh, episode, and you could see those early early beaters, and in those early beaters, you can sort of see some of the you could there was I remember in that particular one there's like a little bit of Dark Souls. you can see how some of the ideas get clipped back a little bit and you can sort of tease out the ideas that would then go on to be the, to be the main thing. This, it was, I thought it was pretty fully formed, but it seemed closer to the Prince of Persia vision. There's like, there's still a lot of DNA of that in it, which, which kind of, I sort of feel like it's sort of gone, uh, in, 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 in the final thing. You can sort of see it's, it's kind of, Halfway between the two things for me.
0: Yeah, a couple of other news stories on IGN on the 28th of April 2006. Odd title uh, Ubisoft's Killer Doctrine. And this is basically confirmation that Project Assassins has become Assassin's Creed, according to the US Patent Office. Then in May 2006. There's a GameSpot article. This is a quote from the article. The game is being developed by Ubisoft Montreal studio uh, creators of hits like Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell and Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. And Ubisoft is making some big promises for the project. Uh, quote, Assassin's Creed is going to push the video game experience as we know it today into an entirely new direction, said the Montreal Studios CEO Yanis Mallet. Assassin's Creed's compelling theme and storyline, experienced through the next generation console, will captivate audiences and affect them on the same level as an epic novel or film, end quote. And just like the Crusades, Assassin's Creed is all set to spawn sequels. The company refers to Assassin's Creed as, quote, the first game, end quote, of a new franchise that will make its debut at next week's Electronic Entertainment Expo. We'll discuss whether it did captivate us on the same level as an epic novel or film. Perhaps, perhaps not. Mm. We we shall see. (laughs) Uh, But speaking of epic novels, I wanted to include this because of how much this shows you that even before the game had come out, it was a massive success. Mm. Because here, uh, in an article from the March 2007 on IGN, Assassin's Creed to be novelized. the title of the article, here's a p- uh, extract from the article. Today... Pocket Books, known for publishing pocket-sized paperbacks based on existing IPs, announced it will novelize Assassin's Creed this October. The publisher plans to print a trilogy of novels based on Ubisoft's highly anticipated game. The first title in the novel series would de- detail events leading up to the beginning of the game. And then we have a quote from VP of Marketing at Ubisoft, Tony Key. Tony says... The Assassin's Creed books, which begin by layering elements that prequel the game, will only expand upon this adventure to an eager audience of gamers and (laughs) (laughs) thrill-seekers. Yes, Tony. Yes, I seek the thrill every day of my goddamn life. And if, to fulfill that need, I I have to read Assassin's Creed books, then goddammit, I will. Um, Eight months before the game comes out and we're going to be doing three books. Now, you know, video game novelizations. There are a lot of like, there's loads of Halo ones. There's a few Mass Effect ones, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, like this tells you, we've already penciled it down. If this is a failure, this is going to be absolutely a gargantuan <laughs> failure because we're already talking about what we can do outside of games.
1: What What blows my mind with all this is that it took until like, 2016 for them to release a film like it's amazing that the movie just didn't come along at this time as well of the announcement of books and sequels and it's like, like they should have been yeah we have a movie as well it's definitely going to happen like you know <laughs> but um those books aren't the books aren't actually too bad either I've read a couple of them they're not the worst Really? Have you read the ones the, the prequel
0: yeah, to I, Assassin's Creed? just back like I have a few little extracts from interviews as well that's because they were the, the press tour was it was mad the amount of press they were doing was ludicrous. Mainly Desley, as I said, and Jade Raymond, who you're going to hear a lot of here. The first interview I could find was from the 11th of May 2006, where Raymond was talking to IGN. And I wanted to play a clip from that. This is where Raymond is talking about the, the type of stealth that Assassin's Creed implements. So take a listen to this.
7: So crowd gameplay is one of our main focuses. There's a crowd flow. There's a natural way that a crowd will move and that people will pick certain sides of the street and you'll end up noticing that the crowd flow. Um, You can use those kinds of rules to be hidden because... We don't have the sense of being hidden or in light or shadow in assassins. It's all about: Are you blending into the crowd? Are you doing what's socially acceptable? Or are you doing something that's going to attract attention? And if you're doing something that's going to attract attention, you know, if there are no guards around, no big deal. But if there's, you know, crowd and there's guards around, then the guards may alert your target, and then your target may escape. So it's all about playing with those social norms.
0: So it's it's pushing the fact that this isn't thief. Mm-hmm. It's not light or dark. It's. If you act like a bollocks, then (laughs) the guards are going to be like, this guy seems fishy. Mm. So let's have a look at that. That's what they were telling us in May 2006. In May 2007, on the 23rd of May 2007, Raymond was talking to IGN again. And I wanted to play this clip because in this interview, Raymond more or less says, I wouldn't call Assassin's Creed a stealth game. It's an interesting one because... I've watched and read quite a lot of interviews from both Raymond and Desley in that two-year period, between 2005 and 2007. And I think this is the only time I was able to find either of them, what appeared to me, trying to tell people that Assassin's Creed isn't a stealth game. It, it, it sounded a little bit like when, do you remember, again, talking about our Monaco episode, in that one interview that Andy Schatz did with I think it was Rev 3 yeah. where it was like you know oh if you don't like stealth games it's okay you, can
3: still, you can still <laughs> yeah, <play."> yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah have
0: have a listen to Raymond talking about how Assassin's Creed actually mightn't be you know super stealthy.
7: I wouldn't necessarily say Assassin's Creed is a stealth game because every single mission that you have to do, whether it's part of the investigation uh, missions or whether it's part of an assassination mission, you can take any approach that you'd like. So yes, we've talked a lot about social stealth and the idea that you want to blend in with the crowd and not be noticed, but there's multiple ways to do that so you can use the crowd. That may be a more slow pace because you don't want to attract attention to yourself. approach, but you can also use your acrobatic free running abilities so you can actually you know take a more puzzle approach the environment say okay i see that beam is connected to there i can get up there without anyone noticing me and get around that way or you can take a full-fledged like straight on action approach and just go in there with your you know weapon of choice out and just try and take all the guys out and blaze the trail it's really completely up to you
0: again a little bit kind of making it out to be a bit of an immersive sim. Mm. Sort of, kind of, you know? You've got three different ways to approach. You can, oh, is it Target? Is it parkour? Is it out-and-out combat? And it's like, eh. For the most part in Assassin's Creed, it is a combination of all three. Yeah. And I would say as well, at least at the time, and you know, I, I lived through this, as the two of you did, at the time, I remember them positioning the game as a stealth game Mm. oh yeah you know like that I I, I 100% remember that rather than them trying to play down the 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 stealth aspect of
1: it yeah but it almost feels like like that that interview was in May 2007 like the game comes out in November they're like they they still at this point don't know how people are going to react to the whole modern day aspect of it all so they're just like we gotta make sure this game is for everyone that we make it clear as day that it is for any person like don't put it down to being just one type of genre. And that's what I get from that little quick clip, you know? I
0: also have a clip um, from, again, around May 2007. Another Raymond interview with IGN. I I, I mostly wanted to play this for historical context. This is Jade Raymond talking about the towers of Assassin's Creed. We all now know and... Well, we know at the very least. We
7: have several landmarks in the game that are actual landmarks that you would find in Jerusalem if you're in Jerusalem or an acre if you're an acre or whatever, the ones that are accurate. And anytime you see a landmark that's high up, you can climb up to the top and that will give you a vantage point on the area where it's located. It'll clear up an area of your map, it'll strategically place stuff, because that represents Altair getting to know that part of the city. And it's also a really good tool if you're being chased for an escape, because you can do um, the leap of faith off of that, which is a really cool move. And that will enables you to be quickly hidden from people who are running after you.
0: The Ubisoft Tower, we all know what it is now, yeah. but I just wanted to include that because I just thought it was quite interesting. You know, the first instance I could find of them explaining what the towers were. Sort of quaint, almost.
2: The idea that they have to explain it. It's
0: good. Now, we're going back a couple of months uh, before this. I probably should have included this earlier. But this is some absolutely delightful quotes in this. So, on the 13th of December 2006, IGN interviewed Kristen Bell. Now, this interview is basically how everyone found out that there was some sci-fi element to Assassin's Creed, if you were somewhat plugged in to the internet. Because Kristen Bell, actress who now would be known for maybe The Good Place, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Kingdom Hearts maybe, she's in Kingdom Hearts, or or what she was doing press for around this time, Veronica Mars. She was doing press for season three of, of that show. And she was asked some softball question about working on a video game. And Kristen Bell was just like, yeah, I'll tell you everything I know. And and she said, quote, yeah, I actually have one coming out for Ubisoft. I don't know what the date is. Sometime next year. It's called Assassin's Creed. You can check it out at assassinscreed.com. And it's about this science company trying to Matrix style Go into people's brains and find out if an ancestor who used to be an assassin and sort of locate who that person is. It's very, very cool, and I've seen all the graphics for it. <laughs> we just recorded all the dialogue and did all the face scans and body scans, and I'm really excited about it. Uh,
1: it almost seems like they're at the ancient shed, and this is where I live. This is my address, and here's my phone number. <laughs> if you can't
0: find the house, like.
1: Adding in the website is just
0: gold. Big 2006 energy there. You can check it out at http
2: <laughs> I love I've seen all the graphics.
0: That's <laughs> so good. Kind of talking about the modern days. So we go forward again to almost up to the game's release. October uh, 22nd 2007. Patrice Desley does an interview with IGN uh, Australia. And in the interview, Desley is asked about the sci-fi element that, you know, it had been been teased. There was a glitch in the trailer. You'd Kristen Bell giving the entire, almost the entire game away. In the interview, Desley said, kind of in reference to the modern day, he said, quote, I don't know how people will react to the twist, but I know that each time we've played it with people from the beginning, nobody really complained. I don't want to say too much. For people who are into this futuristic stuff, they love it. Fair enough. We'll see. see about that. If they will. Mm. Not giving too much away, but I think if you were somewhat plugged into the game's coverage, you might have known perhaps that uh, there was a modern day element to Assassin's Creed. But look, let's take a quick little break. And then we're going to actually talk about our thoughts on the game and... I guess whether we knew if there was a modern day element and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, we'll be back after this wonderful musical interlude. Right then, let's talk about our thoughts on the game itself. Let let us review Assassin's Creed, although. Do you know what? I don't know, I do this every bastard episode. Before we review <laughs> Assassin's Creed, let's talk about our knowledge of the game before you played it for the podcast. So, Josh, why don't you start us off? Before you played Assassin's Creed for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom, did you know what Assassin's Creed was?
2: <laughs> I did. I had an inkling. I played it way, way, way back in the day on the on the 360. It must have been like close to launch. I borrowed it from a friend. I didn't, I didn't buy it. Um, he sort of went through it very quickly. And, uh, but even at the time, I think I, I was, I, I read games, websites and stuff and magazines. And I remember knowing that it was a Prince of Persia game. And even knowing that it was called Prince of Persia assassins and that it was like, you know, protecting a baby prince and you were an assassin. I kind of, for whatever reason, I just absorbed that info. Um, and I'd forgotten how big of a of a deal the game was when it when it came out, just you know hearing about all the stuff that we've been talking about today it's it has sort of reminded me of how big of a deal it actually was, but yeah i remember f- I remember first first playing it and um and of course now it's laughable the idea, they really it, you know it really is ubiquitous software like the, the idea that someone wouldn't know about Assassin's Creed now seems utterly ridiculous.
0: What about you, Adam? Did you come across Assassin's Creed in two thousand and seven?
1: Very much so, because of working in GameStop at the time of it being released. Um, honestly, if if I if I'm to, like rattle off like f- even five games, if that you like, what's the five games you remember from all the years of working in GameStop? Assassin's Creed will definitely probably be like number one or two mm-hmm. at least. Um, it's either that or Modern Warfare, you oh, know. Wow. But like the the build up for Assassin's Creed in even in this little shop in my hometown was gigantic like there was emails coming through of like what what is now those four images that are on the back of the box that you were talking about earlier on those were the images that were sent like these big images of of the game and it was like a huge email describing like all of what this game was going to be about what it was doing like it was just hype 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 and like I was there and I was like I cannot, I cannot wait to play this game. I cannot wait to play it. And like I was waiting for like everything to come out for pre-order, like the whole lot. It, like if if Altair's outfit was there, I was buying it. I'm, i I was sold on this game. And I remember then uh, pre-ordering that the collector's edition of it that came with like a fairly tall like statue of himself, and I was just like cool this looks amazing and it came out and I remember it came in that day and I was like this is this is just a very exciting day and <laughs> I'll talk about how, how, how I how I felt about the game then later on but you know years, years went on and they ended up selling that statue to a major Assassin's Creed fanatic like I had it up because I was not doing anything with it I was well the buzz of the game was after going away from me at this stage I was like oh this statue is just still in its box I wonder can I get anything for it turned out that there was some lad that was just like missing this one statue out of all the Assassin's Creed statues that have been released. This was the one he was missing. And I met him in a car park and he bought it off me, which was brilliant.
0: And you absolutely screwed him (laughs) over. I was very
1: fair because I understand. But um, yeah, it was a gigantic release. I
0: mean, a very similar story to the two of you. I played it back in the day. I bought it on PS3. I can't say for definite, that it was the, I guess in Europe, what is it, the 16th or 15th of November. But I played it on PS3. Maybe it was Christmas. It might have been a Christmas game. But it was, a, it, was some, it was around then. It was pretty close to release date. Because yeah, like, like the two of you, I was seeing all the hype around it. Seeing how cool it looked. Altair looked the business. The setting was different. Just everything about it, I was like, sign me up. I I I need not not I want I need to play this fucking game. <laughs> For those of you that haven't played Assassin's Creed, didn't play along at home, let me tell you what what the actual game is. What you actually do in the game. So, it is a third person action adventure game. Has uh, probably been mentioned a few times now, but where you play as the the assassin Altair in the year eleven ninety one. That's what you predominantly play as. And your goal is to take out the aforementioned nine different targets as ordered by the Assassin's leader, Al-Mualim. You do that then in one of three cities in the game. There's Damascus, Jerusalem and Acre, is it? I mean, I know it's spelt Akre. Yeah, I think
2: you say Akra. Acre, I think so.
0: Each city, it's basically its own little open... Space. I'm hesitant to use world. Uh, (laughs) But basically, yeah. Before you take down one of the nine targets, after you've arrived at your destination, you must find out where your target is. And you do that by carrying out what are in the game referred to as investigation missions. And these missions, you reveal them, you reveal the location of them by climbing towers, and you get up to the tower you press Y, the camera circles around your character, you hear a squawk of a, an eagle and, you know, you do the leap of faith. the, the tro- What is now the tried and tested Assassin's Creed formula and you're defogging the map every time you climb one of these towers. So these investigation missions then, they can be a number of different things. They can be where you interrogate people, which is where you just follow somebody down a back alley, you give them a couple of punches. Uh, you pickpocket somebody is another one. Um, self-explanatory, you eavesdrop in conversations, that's basically just sit on a bench and look at a conversation. We're, we're probably going to talk about them, so I won't go any more in depth here. Then, once you have enough intel, the location of your target will pop up on the map, and then you go to their location, you stick your blade in them, and you get that weird glitchy chat that happens in an endless white space <laughs> that's never explained. And who knows what's going on? Is it real? Is it fake? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, your your ultimate goal basically is do all this, remain in the shadows and yeah, try not to alert too many guards. We're going to talk about whether that is good or not, basically. So let's do it right now. So yeah, this is where the part of the podcast where we review Assassin's Creed. We're going to talk about its stealth, we're going to talk about its boom boom, which is basically the combat and everything else around the game. We're going to talk about the most noteworthy level mission or area, and we're going to talk about the story. First of all, let us talk about the stealth. Josh, why don't you start us off? I think I've kind of described it a little bit, but the stealth in this game, it's not thief. Yeah, You know, it's not light and dark. It's social stealth. Outline maybe what it is, and then yeah, well, what, what did you think? Well, I,
2: yeah, so the sort of the main, I think, yeah, the word investigation is good. Lots, lots of the stealth is is, uh, I could, I can sort of feel a little bit of why Jade Raymond uh, said what she said about it because it is social stealth. Maybe one of the earliest like big examples of social stealth. And basically, what it consists of is you, you find yourself in each area. And you have to behave in a certain way. There's like a few different levels to the stealth. The sort of top layer is, um, you know, act normally and, you know, don't cause alarm because all of the, all of the different districts have guards that are always on the lookout for sort of antisocial behavior. Don't, don't get yourself an Asbo in, uh, you know, Jerusalem or Acre. (laughs) Um, so there's sort of that, that top layer of just let's, you know, let's act normal. And then there's like another little layer below that where it is very much about, um, I need to get somewhere physically get somewhere. And that will either entail two things. Number one is, um, another element of the social style. So you, you blend in your, your, you you can blend into uh sort of roving packs of monks who just sort of stand at certain areas waiting for you like a taxi uh there's always there's always four of them and you stand right perfectly in the middle it's brilliant um yeah it's windy up here it's like oh you socked your man out how are you oh it's so good <laughs> i love it i love it um and they would then go on to tweak that in future games, you just sort of blend into general large crowds. But um and the monks will often lead you into areas that have guards, and so the guards will park because they'll sort of respect the holy men and go, oh well, we'll let them in, they're holy men. It's you know it'd be a sin to kill them. So they sort of let them go. So that's how you can sort of sneakily infiltrate into larger complexes and markets and castles and all that sort of stuff. And then of course the other thing is I'm gonna call it line of sight because it It technically is, but it's not the line of sight that you'd kind of know now. So there's no cover. Well, organically, there is sort of a cover mechanic. It just involves climbing. It involves finding sneaky routes to get into places that will take you out of the line of sight uh, uh, of any number of guards who are patrolling that space. So you think, oh, well, if I go around the back and climb up the top and then jump from there to there, I, I will dodge their, their sight lines kind of thing. But yeah, there's no sneaky duck behind the crate, to, you know, dodge between cover while they go that. It's, it's very much loose. It feels like um, this is very much an open world game. And so we sometimes suffer the indoor problem because our mechanics are built for these massive environments and stuff. So often when you are in more confined quarters, which traditionally is the, you know, the sort of modus operandi of a stealth game is confined quarters, he can be a bit loosey-goosey and he can sort of suddenly have a bit of a fit and, you know, not really behave how you want him to behave or stub his toe on a statue and fall down three flights of stairs. He can get a little bit goofy uh, when you when you're in there. But I do like it. I like it a lot. It I mean it is and I remember playing it for the first time and it felt very much like that social stealth was at least new to me. If there were any other I suppose the big genre examples of social stealth at that time would be Hitman, um Hitman Blood Money in particular. And I remember very specific, um playing Assassin's Creed for the first time and really, really enjoying its stealth and thinking that it felt very, very next-gen, particularly because of there's a mission in Hitman Blood Money called Murder of Crows, which takes place in New Orleans. And it was on the PlayStation 2, and it was like the first time that that console, and like the only time that that console rendered large numbers of people in a crowd. And I always remember Assassin's Creed as kind of taking the mantle of murder of crows and kind of going, we can actually really do this now. Like they are all proper people with proper pathfinding, and you realistically sort of bump into them. Uh, to be honest, there's there's still something magic about that Um, that's never really gone away with Assassin's Creed, and you really do feel if I'm down here and I'm behaving in a certain kind of way, I am not just being stealthy but fitting into this world at the same time. And that's kind of a genius combination of mechanics. When your mechanics fit your theme, that is a rare thing um, in, in any video game, really, if it fits it properly and you do it really, really well. Um, and the dovetailing of it here is just unreal. It's like, it's, there's still a spell to it for me, but it's not without its problems, which I'm sure we'll also get into.
0: It's, it's an interesting beast. I, and I get what you're saying about the, the line of sight. A guard won't bother you if you don't bother them. Yeah. yeah, They'll start to suspect something if you're entering a prohibited area. Or, yeah, if you're acting in a peculiar way, like the, the guard is standing right there and you're like, how's the form? And you just start climbing a building in front of them. Like, Because, of course, if that happened in real life, you know, there's a security car- guard at the entrance of Boots and you just go, I was going, <laughs> I'm was just in <laughs> to get my resume, And you start scaling the building. That guard is going be, to be a bit yeah, yeah. You know, or, or like, yeah, if you run into the guards, they'd get the hump and they'll start chasing you down, yeah. whatever. So if, if you mind your own business, you're mostly okay. Mostly. The, the game never explicitly states, these are the six things mm. that are considered socially unacceptable in the Holy Land or whatever. You just figure it out as you go along. And again, all of it is, is really cool in theory. And yeah, if you are a law-abiding citizen, the guards mostly won't bother you. But if they see you, say, on rooftops, they're first going to give you a warning and a chance to leave, which I really yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't get down, they'll try and end a motherfucker. Because yeah, of course yeah. they would. <laughs> Ma- makes total sense. Now, I- I've kind of done all the positives. The negatives are that sometimes... I would do things and I'd be like, that's interesting. No, that doesn't draw the ire of the guards for whatever reason. On a couple of occasions, I would scale a building in front of a guard. And sometimes they'd be like, can't be doing that, young fella, and come up and chase me. But a lot of the time they'd be like, eh, <laughs> <laughs> leave, leave, leave him be, he's all right. Like, it just, it just didn't seem to, to register. Yeah, yeah. That happened enough. <laughs> That then I was like, ah, well, I'm not going to be cautious then of when I go from ground level to the rooftops because it doesn't really seem to bother you. On the whole, I think it works, but there are little, little issues here and there. We're talking about issues. Like I know there was one that you found a bit problematic, Josh. Was the blending? Yeah, or- it
2: was, It well, it, it was more just, I think you kind of um, nailed it when you were sort of saying like, there aren't The rules aren't made exactly clear to you, so it's kind of similar to the trouble you've described, but like for me, it, it made me kind of annoyed that you what is socially acceptable sometimes just seems a little bit bonkers, like I'd just be run like it' not even the, the full sprint, but you know when Altair just like runs. You've got like the 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 fast walk and then the run and then the absolute yeah. sprint when he goes full pelt. Well, I was just like running along. And it's just like, just running was just a death penalty. It was like, don't be running. Where are you going? And where have you been? And just instantly wanting to kill me with a sword. And it's like, well, come on. I might just be late for a job interview or something. Like, calm down. I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm allowed to run. Why aren't we allowed to run? You know, Um, just a little bit like, fair enough if I'm scaling up the building. All right, maybe I'm up to maybe I'm a bit of a ne'er-do-well, but if I'm just running through, it's a crowded market, I've got to be somewhere, you know, I relax, it's none of your business. But, so there'd be times like that, it just felt a little bit oppressive as well, like you've got that little noise that fucks me off sometimes, you know, the little boom, 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 when you're sort of around yeah. the edge of, and it's like, ah, oh, chill out, all right, I'll go back to the walk, just calm down. And the little thing goes yellow, it seems to permanently be on like yellow alert, and it's just like, mm. it's cool and i do like the idea of like you pull the trigger or like you you've got your one modifier and that re uh, like turns all of your actions into antisocial versions of those things that you were doing before like that that is cool but just like now and then just like a little bit oppressive like a little bit c- calm down a bit let me it, it just stifle the exploration just a little bit but it's it's not a massive thing just some, just something that hit me this time i don't even know if i Sort of, you know, remember that back in the day, but certainly on this recent playthrough, I just think, oh, yeah, it is a bit oppressive.
0: There was a different thing then, Adam, that you spotted that was you took issue with, which was like the, the assassinations themselves. This was
1: always a situation from day one for me is like the, the planning of the assassination, like looking down on somebody, all that kind of and going, all right, what will it, it really doesn't exist? Like, it's <laughs> it's it, that the, the idea. It was kind of set there, I, I felt. But, like, when I was planning out, like, because you go through, like, there was many moments even, like, playing at this time around where you, you get to your target, you have to always go through some sort of, like, speech that they, they go through, some, like, kind of, like, kind of cutscene, let's say. And um many times, like, I'd be up, I'd be up high and I'd be looking down, I'd be kind of going, and you actually have to, like, get to a certain distance for it mm. to trigger, for the... So you, you, it's not a case of like what the other games did where, oh, I'm here and oh, I can see him kind of going around the place, all right. You have to get down into a certain part of the area in order for the, the target to, to um, come out. And like, there's moments where I was like, all right, I'm here now and there's a crowd of people with me. But there's this invisible wall now all of a sudden that I cannot get straight up to the target. So I have to watch the cutscene, listen to the speech. And I remember there was, I can't remember exactly what enemy it was, but I was standing there this exact setting now where I was with a crowd of people I was there and I was just waiting to kind of get the opportunity to just get in there and have the invisible walk and he turns around and goes into a set of doors and the doors just close and I was like oh for fuck's sake really Th- those moments of making it feel like a really cool assassin mm. didn't exist and it, it never mm. did like for me first time round and like I think I just want to like say as well the social stealth that you're kind of on about as well like the blending, all those kinds of things. Like once you see and notice the the kind of the repetition of the whole game and you kind of go, oh, there's the lads. The, okay, blend in with them. It becomes insanely mm. dull to do it any more than like five times or six times that you mm. probably do it like first time round. You're kind of going, all right, that's cool. But really it's like, oh, I kind of don't want to just press X and watch them just go in with the lads or whatever, like, and every every kind of area for the assassins for the assassinations were like they were all designed the same bit it was the same kind of style <laughs> of building like you always had like the main the main gate had like three guards outside it but you could see those two wooden beams above it that if you could get up there you could get over the guards so I was always and then in my head I was like I'll just do it. I'll just fight the lads over here because the guards there, they won't notice anything for some unknown reason. They're just going, oh, your man's having a big brawl up there. Leave him off. But then all of a sudden I'm blending with the lights and I just go past them. All of that became incredibly mm. dull. Incredibly dull. Along with even like the the kind of eavesdropping and stuff like that. Like sitting on a bench. Like I know their kind of state as I went on to like uh, definitely Assassin's Creed 2 anyway. I, I can't recall if it went into 3 because I know the setting is so different. But um, it just all those things, the social aspects were just like, oh, this is just, it's it's not working for me anymore. And all I wanted to do was just become a lot cooler, which ended up resulting then in just a clunky assassination. And they do say this in the making of, which was like, because watching the making of this game is is actually very interesting because obviously it's the making of, so it's going to be interesting. But when they have like the path of the the, the crowd flows and stuff like that, like, that's all really cool. And it's cool to kind of like, like what they're saying with the pickpocketing and maybe just like pushing away with the, the hands and stuff. That all looks really good for, for, for the time of the game and stuff. But it's, it's not fun or satisfying. Mm. And I, I just felt like every single assassination ends up being, resulting in the same mm. way. You just, you just jump in because they want you, they want you to cause a scene on your, your kill because they want you to have that chase then. Mm. And that's, that seems to be the, the whole thing of this 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 first game. Like, I don't think I really, I don't really recall at all successfully killing somebody like a, a main target and getting away freely. Like, like smooth out. with. Oh, I
0: don't think you can.
1: M- and that to me is like when you're hearing like, oh, I wouldn't really call it a stealth game stuff. Like, that's where all this is is coming into play, I feel, because not doing, not being able to do that makes <clears throat> it's not satisfying. Like, all right, every now and then it can make a you can make a balls up and go. Oh no, scene, mm-hmm. here we go! But every time
2: having to cause that kind of situation, just to quickly touch on one of the things that was in those, um, those developer diary style things. I think one of the one of the problems that Assassin's Creed has is like sort of tied into why maybe it was so successful is that they they have such a, a desire for the cinematics and like I remember Desolée in one of those videos mentions they had one of their internal teams was called like the Hollywood team and they would work on like curated moments and I think one of the problems that they have is that every single little thing and especially everything that was in the trailers they, they really regimented it and and wanted to make sure you experienced it every time, you know? So it, and it really becomes like this sort of prescriptive Simon says sort of set menu of just now's the bit where you do the leap of faith and, and now's the bit, Oh, and don't forget we, you know, we had that trailer where Altaïr outruns his pursuers. It was that, you know, that first ever trailer where he boun- bounces, yeah, a bit. Yeah. He's like we've got to make sure they do everything. And what it feels like to me is like, we're very, very keen for you to like want this experience. Like you, you, you want to look at yourself and move the camera in a cool way and kind of feel like a sort of cinematic badass. But actually, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Adam, because it's like, well, yes. And maybe for the for a couple of times at the beginning, like, I, like maybe I do when I'm really wrapped up in the role play and the fantasy. But actually, you guys have given me like two options really and I'm just always going to do like maybe one of them Or <laughs> uh, yeah it, it's totally sort of you know colour within the lines One
0: thing I noticed was that when you were caught and like you, you know I, I, I tried to be stealthy I tried to not draw attention to myself or hide if I was seen etc etc but when you figure out that when you're seen and a load of guards come upon you and they're like, let's throw down, you you realise after, I don't know, a handful of fights that like, I, I can handle myself actually. I'm, I'm, qu- I'm quite decent in combat, aren't I? And I'm not going to go into, like, we'll talk about the actual, the, the, the nuts and the bolts of the combat when we talk about the boom boom. Right now I'm talking about how just when you're caught, you don't have to worry about. a a barrage of enemies chasing you down like there there is always always a finite number that will come to your location it might be a decent number we could be talking double figures Mm. but guards can't exactly like radio in for help and that's cool because I'm pretty sure they didn't have walkie-talkies at the time, but it does mean you often have two choices when you're seen, which is either leg it and try and find a bale of hay or something, or take on the enemies that have congregated around you. And mm. if you engage with the game even a bit, you probably have a decent amount of health. Mm. Because, like, I had two full bars. Two full Full bars. Yeah, I I did like a decent chunk of the towers. I did a few of the the citizen, save citizen missions, blah, blah, blah. And basically for, for people who haven't played, for each, I don't know, six, seven, eight missions you complete, you get one extra bar of health. Yeah. When you're even, yeah, just engaging in some of the side stuff, you will be accruing this, even not even the side stuff, just the main stuff. So, like taking on your enemies is a choice. Like yeah. it's it's a to- totally viable choice. It, it absolutely
1: is, but it's it doesn't almost want you to do it in a stealth approach because, like, look, tell me if I tell me if I'm, but I could not get my head around any time I came across an enemy on a rooftop. Right? I have, and this brings on to one of my points here. Right, where I realized that Assassin's Creed doesn't provide you with a crouch mechanic. Mm. So, like, I, I'm in my head going, I was there going, where's, where, where, circle, no, sur- no, sh- surely, no, no, nothing happening there. Went to the control scheme and I was like, there's, there's absolutely no, I looked online, there's no crouch, right? Which, it's kind of insane <laughs> for, for a game of, because it's not like, it's like, Metal Gear Solid had crouch and stuff, like, uh, like games have had it, like, so it's mm. not like, I'm in my head going like, did they talk about this? What's the story with it? Because anytime I got up on a rooftop to an enemy and I had my cool hidden blade. And yes, I could just ignore this enemy. But, you know, I kind of want to do something pretty cool with my hidden blade. The approach up behind an enemy. Do you walk slow? If you walk fast, does the enemy notice you straight away? Do you if you get to certain, do they just smell you? Like what's going on? Like and it just ended up being in a situation where I'd go. <laughs> so many times, I'd, I'd like slowly kind of go up, and then he'd turn and go, hey! And then he'd just go, oh, sorry! And just kick him <laughs> off the roof. And I'd be like, oh, I've alerted everyone. Like, things like that would unfold. And I was like, I'm just making a mess of everything. Like, and he, as you said, Colum, yeah, it is your choice, but I'm choosing to try and play it this way. And it's not really letting me do it well.
0: Something you mentioned. Uh, just a moment ago, talking about the hidden blade, it is the weapon. It is the Assassin's Creed thing, and it's quite interesting in this that it's still cool, but it doesn't feel like this important video game weapon. Hundred percent. There is no gravitas to it in the game at all. I just, I just kind of as a something I, I noted, like Ubisoft got pelters for calling Aiden Pearce's cap iconic <laughs> for watch underscore dogs before the game came out. Whereas like in Assassin's Creed th- it's just like, yeah, yeah, they cut off their, uh, they cut off their ring finger and they have a blade comes out, it's mad, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's kind of
2: it. It's funny because uh, you're so right and there's actually, it's true of a number of things because, and it's interesting, they've, announced all those novels and oh god knows what you know so many things coming out for assassin's creed before they even knew if it would be successful but a lot of the stuff it actually to be honest with you it doesn't really make sense when you think about it so much of the stuff that is iconic and associated with Assassin's Creed is incredibly specific to this first game. The reason that they wear white hoods is 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 because they want to blend in with the specific monks that were in the Holy Land. Therefore, it doesn't really make sense in Renaissance Italy. You know, the Hidden Blade, okay, yeah, it, it was only iconic in Assassin's Creed 2, number one, because you got two of them and there was that whole thing with Da Vinci. But th- it was like in the first game just sort of felt like a workaday weapon. It, you know, it is sort of, and the whole, even like the leap of faith, which would like go on to become the, the de, one of the defining like franchise things just makes much more sense here. Like number one, because actually there aren't that many buildings that are particularly like massively tall. There's nothing like the uh-huh. Eiffel. They're all like two, three stories. And number two, kind of just makes sense in the Holy Land that there is a lot of hay. There's just hay knocking about willy nilly. And like, I don't know that there'd be that much hay in like, 1800s Paris, <laughs> you know, I, like just it's just so funny when you look at what became iconic, uh, and it's just like, well, actually, it was like super specific. As
0: a weapon itself, for you know the purposes of stealth, it is it is the weapon you use to take down guards when you're trying to be stealthy. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's still cool. It is cool. You hop on a rooftop, and a guard sees you and is like. What no, I don't think you should be up and you're like oh shit so you leg it towards him with the hidden blade and just hop on him and you get that, that sound noise. effect yeah. it works
1: so well I always thought like you know like it would have been the thing that was would have stood out for me with like the kind of um the launch of this game like I was like oh it's going to be so cool like to kind of walking through the crowd really slowly instead and then just going sip and then just walking away without anyone knowing that you did that you know that's what I had in mind and I do think they touched upon a lot more in Assassin's Creed 2, but like definitely a weapon mm. that I would want to have used all the time over like the sword, like fighting with your fists. Crap. Like, no, no thanks. Using the hidden blade for stealth. Brilliant.
0: I, I know one final thing on the stealth you want to
2: talk about, Josh, was
0: the game, I don't know, having a set of buttons
2: for unacceptable behaviour. I actually was just really like, I, I think like, I I love bold designer bullshit and like but but like what this it actually works in assassin's creed like they kind of do what they did in tekken which is like you have a button for each of the person's limbs and like and like that that just like works really really nicely when you've got this whole idea of anytime you pull the left trigger it completely changes all of the functions so what was Nicely jostling and jimmying your way through a crowd actually just turns into a full-on shove, <laughs> which I do like. Ubisoft do context-sensitive stuff quite well. Generally, it is one of the things broadly across lots of their games that they that they that they do that they do that they have done well. And I, I, I do like this idea of like those are your basic functions, and you know that's that's how it works. And if you pull this button, you'll get like souped up you know gnarly versions of those things but yeah it, it was just a nice and it sort of feeds it more into the social vibe i think you know you, you kind of know okay well i won't pull the trigger literally pull the trigger i'm actually just going to try and behave myself and be a normal boy so that is what we thought about the stealth so let's take a
0: quick little break and then we will be back to talk about the noteworthy levels of assassin's creed as well as it's boom boom. So, back just after this. Right. Let's talk about the boom boom of Ezio, not Ezio, the <laughs> other fella, Altair's <laughs> uh, Assassin's Creed. It. Getting a bit ahead of myself there, yeah. <laughs> so, Josh, while I try and conceal my embarrassment talk to me about your feelings on the boom boom specifically the the fighting the combat
2: i really really miss this combat i know it ain't much but the thing is ubisoft i right back to like prince of persia they just weren't very good at sword like melee combat it was always the even like sands of time is like a masterpiece i think but um, the combat was always its weak point. You had like a couple of moves, quite context sensitive. Like a, you had also had a counter in that game. Um, you could really sort of see the bones of it there. But it, it, it's it, the combat in this game. It, it, it's not much. It's not amazing. It you know, but it looks cinematic and it's f- kind of fun and satisfying to do. You can absolutely chop your way through like a hundred dudes uh, very very easily. It's never going to be great with with the Assassin's Creed games, but I just I like this because they it's very very focused. And the newer games in the series, I just hate the combat that it, is in Assassin's Creed now. I think it's awful. It feels horrible to do. I just like I played uh, Valhalla, and just remember thinking, "What the fuck is that?" Like I just had a battle axe and just pranged some guy in the head and he just ragdolled like it was Max Payne too, like eight feet into the air. And it was just like, well, this, yeah, this isn't anything. And like just numbers popping off of people. Cause they're just, they're like, Oh, let's just sort of co- just copy the Witch, copy a load of other games. And it just lost its identity. I'm not saying this fighting's brilliant. Like it, you know, Arkham came along and sort of took the the raw chassis of this and made it a hell of a lot better and more interesting and varied. But for what it is doing the counter, it's nice. And the little dodge mechanic and all that sort of stuff you can. And I do like building up the rhythm of your attack that they, they, I think Ubisoft did at least to give them some credit. Like they hit on that really nice idea of, of rhythm combat where it's just like you, you press mm. the button again when your first hit lands on the enemy and you get this nice sense of like one, two, three. And then like, you know, like on the fourth hit or the fifth hit, he's going to, he's going to kill the dude in a very, very cool takedown finish. And some of the animations are really, really sweet, like brutal, brutal, medieval stuff you know cracking the dudes like breaking his arm at the elbow and then whacking him stabbing him through the chest. there's some really gnarly animations that just kind of sell you on the wow this guy's a big bad bastard Um, there's some
0: strategy to it and a lot of that strategy for me when I got into combat revolved around the countering like so many other games in Assassin's Creed starting off all your combat abilities and weapons they're taken off you you get them back throughout the game once you perform a successful assassination on one of the main nine targets. And yes, one of these abilities is the counter. This is 100%, no doubt, god tier. Yeah. Like, it is mostly what you use to win fights. (laughs) It's easily the best. If you press the button just when the baddie's about to strike, you instantly kill them. Or if, I think if they're armoured to some extent you'll knock them back so that then you, if you jump on them quickly, then you'll kill them. Yeah, yeah. At first, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm well on board with this. But the, one issue is that when you are letting the enemies take charge of a fight, when you're letting them lead, that means you're waiting for them to strike. And if there are seven or eight lads around you and none of them are terribly aggressive fighters, it can prolong battles when, you know, you're kind of going, ah, oh, I want to hide this <laughs> on a little bit. You just smack him with someone, come yeah, on, it can, it can yeah. just be a bit of a pain when you've accidentally legged it around a corner into a bad guy and now you're surrounded by seven of his <laughs> friends and you're yeah. like, oh, I, I so you just go like, could I fight him? Maybe I hide and then you do that. But anyway, like, I, I think the combat in the first Assassin's Creed is a bit unfairly maligned on the whole.
2: So do I. There's
0: a nice flow to the countering, to the jumping on the guards before they get up, then jumping back to countering the next bad guy in the pack. It's not incredible. (laughs) And I want to stress that point because I am saying a lot of positive things and I, I do mean them. Some of it may come from a place of me expecting worse. Some of it may come from a place of, you know, just remembering it being slightly different. Plus, I mean, you know, given the improvement in the gadgets in the next few series, uh, the next few entries in the series, if memory serves, the combat improves into the Ezio years. But that, that countering is is, is is good fun. The
1: countering is good fun because I have to be honest that I think anything, any other combat scenario is, 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 is shit. <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> tedious combat. And the counter was kind of like, all right, I'm just going to, I got the, I got the hang at the counter situation here and it always looks cooler. It always results in an instant kill for the most part. And I, like, I know what you're saying, Colin. like you'd stand there, you'd wait, no one would attack, you'd try and get them going again. And then it was a lot of that going on, but I felt that was faster than just going ching, 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 ching over and over and over again. It's It's almost a missed opportunity given the fact he has like, throwing knives and like the hidden blade and stuff like that, that the combat isn't more, uh, more free flowing, more like, I don't know, like I know it it wouldn't go to the level of like something like the, the Batman Arkham games or Spider-Man or something like that, but it almost felt like it should have been that combat given the way the camera view goes for when you are doing your thing, the way you're locking on and stuff. Like it felt like the, he, he should have done a lot more like, you know, 360 spins on the ground and, getting some fella swooped up or whatever like that that's the way it, it, it felt like it should have been given as well that you're like able to like run at some guy on a roof and do some mad leap into the air and stab him into the neck like you know the, the when it's really this is now combat it was just it was very lackluster and that's why then like yes the, the the counter kills are definitely the absolute star of the show but for for good reason, they're just, they're just
2: the most fun and they look the most impressive and they make you feel like you're absolutely dominating. So that's like maybe the most important thing for the, of the combat for me. And maybe, maybe this is me being a little bit forgiving. Maybe I think I'm probably a bit closer to Colum's feeling on this. Cause I, I because they're really cool and the animations <clears throat> are really, really cool. I kind of found that I wanted the fights to look as cinematically cool as possible. So I would actually find myself doing things that I absolutely did not need to do, but just doing them because I thought that it would be cool if Altair. Were. So like the counter to touch on it, you got the counter is actually just fully just too good I mean, to yeah. the point like it's like well, you can just you can just slay entire armies if you just press x at a certain time but however there are things where it's like well okay yeah you can and maybe that's something they should have sort of nerfed a little bit but you can also i found myself just randomly going i'm gonna throw in a dodge I forgot there was a dodge mechanic in this game for like 15 years ago. (laughs) Like, and I just, I was like, this time I'm going to dodge. And then if you attack immediately after the dodge, you also trigger a cool, but like slightly different thing. And then I'll be like, oh, I'll switch to the throwing knives and just randomly take a couple of dudes out at range. And like, I I mixed it up just because I sort of thought I should because it looked cool. But I guess the fact is, I didn't need to mix it up. And maybe that's kind of the game's Shortfall, the counter is overpowered.
0: Adam, I'm looking at this doc in front of me here and you have written the words, throwing knives are the business. So you weren't just countering? I was throwing those
1: knives, lads, because when I realised I only had, what, five weapons at my disposal for this entire game, I did say to myself, well, I may as well give this a shot because... And the throwing knife thing started (laughs) when I realised I didn't have a crouch button that I kept getting caught when I snuck up to a fella. I was like, there has to be something else that's going to make this more fun for me. And uh, the throwing knives were it. They are, as I said, the business. Like, they're literally like, they curve and everything. It's like, pew! Like, he's ridiculous at them. And they're like... It's a one-hit kill. That's the, ma- that's the massive thing. It's a one-hit kill. And it's just like, this is cracking. Like, they're just fun. It's just it just it's just a little bit of fun. But it's it's just interesting how there's no other item like it like like i have it down here like you know smoke smoke bombs and things like that like e- considering as well they want you to get chased how you don't have something to just throw and disappear on like there's there's just so many things i'd love to sit down and be like what was the story with that no like what did you talk about that whatever because why did you put in throwing knives like what was the reason to put in throwing knives and only throwing knives in that situation so like but they're really fun uh, I didn't feel the need to ever use them. I didn't feel like I was stuck in a situation of, oh, I got to get rid of that guy there. I would just be like, oh, let's go up there and just throw that in there. That was pretty cool. Drive on. That was it. It never, it never presented uh, as, uh, an unopened strategy then. Like It just never did. It was just, ah, there you go. Do that if you like.
0: As well as the throwing knives, I know you were a big fan of those Ubisoft towers, the first iteration of the Ubisoft tower.
1: I'm never sick of climbing towers in games. And they, like, if if this is where it really started, I, I, it's the biggest compliment to the game, I feel, because I know a lot of people go, oh, like, German Far Cry started doing it and, like, Dying Light started doing it and loads of games, like, just took it. But there's something about the the, the puzzle of it all, I, I suppose, and the the reward of getting up to the top. And, like, it brings out that whole... Childhood thing of look at that big tree. I'm gonna climb it for no reason. Like that's just it's kind of in your brain that you just want to do that. And like when they brought out the the the, the viewpoint towers and you you scale around, and you see it, and you get to do that dive off. Like always satisfying first time round. And like those kind of things, like they just got bigger and bigger and bigger in games as they went on. And I'm always like I'm always quite in awe at the level detail. Like I think. Like, a recent, let's say, like, uh, Dying Light 2, when I was playing that, like, I remember looking up going, Jesus, it, I can see the top, but it's kind of blurry, and that's all because of Assassin's Creed. I know a lot of people hate it. I know a lot of people don't enjoy them, and it, it it's predictable.
2: But you know what, though? I don't even, I'm not convinced that, like, people do honestly hate it. I think there's, like, a couple things that go on. I think, number one... It just became a cliche. It's like a really easy dunk to just go, oh, Ubisoft Towers, oh man, you know, we've seen that a hundred And it's like, yeah, all right, yeah, fair enough. We have seen it a hundred times. Yeah. But... It works, you know, to tap into what you're saying. It is that instinctive, like you're a kid. I'm going to climb that tree. Why? Because I think I might be able to. And it, that's cool in itself. But there's a couple of other things. Like the first thing with Assassin's Creed, it really, really works and ties into what you're doing. It ties into that little role play of you're investigating. You know, it's like, I don't actually know the layer of the layer of the land. And so I I need to find it out. But number two, it's like, I don't think people got bored of 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 climbing towers as much as ubisoft got bored of it like ubisoft threw in the fucking towel i played like uh, jump in the gun ever so slightly but like i think it was unity or the assassin's creed that was set in london as well and it's just like they just gave you a grappling hook and like you, you just batman and it's like but the thing is though in the first assassin's creed back then mechanically climbing the towers was a puzzle. You had to find a proper... And even in, like, three and four, you can just Spider-Man up any sort. They actually get bored of it long before the grappling hook came along. It's just like, yeah, we just want people to get to the top really quickly. And it's like, yeah, but you've kind of lost the fact that it was it was a real undertaking. It was an art climbing the towers and that sense of accomplishment and you get rewarded with the leap of faith. And, and I think the ultimate proof of that of it ain't us, it's Ubisoft that got bored of it, was Breath of the Wild. Because that game comes along and it does it in a very different way. And it says you can climb anything and all you've got to worry about is this stamina meter. But the joy of it came back in. Because then it was like, oh, but how am I going to do it? I have to stop and in this little nook here and wait for my stamina to go back up. And of course the reward, just like the leap of faith, is you get to paraglide off the top. And that childish joy comes back in. It's like... I hundred percent agree with you, man. The tower—I ta- think the towers, particularly in this game—and I think they stay good for a good two or three games after this. I still think they're brilliant.
0: I mean, I think the two of you are completely, completely ludicrous. <laughs> like you—you you mentioned Breath of the Wild, Josh. I totally agree in that Ubisoft towers aren't inherently bad. Like people who say, oh, Christ, towers, piss (laughs) up. Like it's like chill out. A good Ubisoft tower is a good Ubisoft tower. The best example of that is Breath of the Wild. The Sheikah towers. You know, you you come up on one and the bottom of it will be covered in like the corrupted slime thing. So you have to try and approach it differently. Or the tower will be in the middle of this sort of quick sandy liquid. So you have to, you know, figure out how to get across the yeah, climate, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Another game, which is coincidentally the kind of uh, people consider like the, the much lesser Breath of the Wild because it came out at around the same time, blah, blah, blah. But like the horizon, what was the first one called? Zero Dawn. The towers in that, the tall necks, they are good because it's basically, they're towers that move. So that in itself is, right, okay, how am I going to approach this? The towers here, I oh, mean, they're
2: fine. I think may- maybe I over-egged it. I, uh, when I say a pu- puzzle, I, I admit that's a, that, that is a little strong. And they actually, they got a little bit better in, I think, 2 and Revelate. Uh, perhaps a bit strong when I'm saying it, uh, puzzles, because you're right, like Breath of the Wild is uh, like proper puzzles. And yeah, but I let I'll just say there's an element of, of challenge, you know, you can't just Batman up. it. It's like, oh, I have to at least get to that handhold there. And, you know, I, I did run into some bits where it's like, oh, I can't just hold the thing and press up here. Eh, a little bit more to it, I should say. But perhaps I was a bit generous by saying, yeah, bloody puzzle. Uh,
1: like, are we not in agreement that, like, yes, these to- these towers in Assassin's Creed, they're not... <laughs> they're not amazing. Like what we're saying with Breath of the Wild and yeah, Horizon yeah, and all this one, they're yeah. all absolutely oh, yeah, yeah. better, 100%. But I have to say, like, the biggest, one of the biggest compliments I can give Assassin's Creed is what people took away from the the, yeah. the towers yeah. out of everything that, like that, that
2: influential in, in a lot of games. No, it's true. It's true. And they were so clever. I mean, it really is such a clever idea. It's funny. we, None of these other games would have done it if it wasn't. I mean, this, it, was, it was huge. It made so much sense. And it was mad. You, you were like, how has no one done this? Obviously, I should climb it to fill in the map. That makes so much sense. <laughs>
0: uh, a point I wanted to bring up was, I and mean, it's, it's kind of related, I guess, a little bit, is how Altair is the most incredible human being walking this planet. A couple of months ago, there was a show on Netflix called Physical 100. Altaïr would have absolutely pissed that. (laughs) He has incredible stamina. He's the most flexible human being you'll ever come across. Unbelievable upper body strength and balance. All these things, like watching him uh, perform outstanding feats of physical strength and endurance is mind-blowing. I would, however, as the player, love if I felt like I was involved. So if you go into your high profile state, which is just press the right bumper, and then you hold down the sprint button, you watch as Altair does all of this cool shit that I'm mentioning it. But but that's it. Like You're watching him do this you're barely involved. You're pushing up on in the, in the, the analog stick and this guy is doing some outstanding stuff. But I, as the player, am just a passenger. And like, I remember even at the time and I, like my feelings, uh, they haven't changed since I've played it. I'm like, yeah, I, f- I feel the exact same way I did when I played it first day, which is like, uh, I, yeah, he, he's doing cool stuff I don't feel like I'm participating. Like I'm occasionally dipping in. Yeah. Maybe by where I'm pointing the analog stick, but on the whole I'm like, meh. I don't really know how I'm influencing the movements of this man on my television, you know?
2: Sure. And that's where the context sensitive stuff can be a real a real pain. It's not it's not granular enough. It it does it does maybe a little too much for you. It's not like you know, Mirror's Edge, for instance, did a really nice thing because you actually sort of felt like you were doing a lot of the stuff in Mirror's Edge. Like you're like, oh, you've got yes. to do the move that makes her tuck her legs in and do the roll when she, you know. Whereas this very much is, that's not what we want you to worry about. Just pull the trigger, and this guy will go nutty. And <laughs> and I I do totally feel you on that. It's like I'm just watching a guy. Go- he must be hot in those robes, by the way. We have got to discuss that. He must it's, be. Yes. It is a broiling day, and it's midday, and he's climbing up and he's leaping around, and I'm thinking, that's there's there's armor under there and chainmail. He must be a sweaty fella. <laughs> basically echoing
1: your point about his whole the whole parkour side of it, right? That being being uh, basically a uh, a passenger in, in the whole thing results in a, a, a major amount of error I feel in your the, the, the overall traversal because there is that whole thing is yeah you're just pressing forward you're bolting you're running whatever but like Altair has this whole there's this whole thing where he's like a magnus and he he, he gets pulled to the wrong area that, like the, an area that, like a, a, a part in the wall that you have no intention of in going to and then for some reason, he'll try to grab something up high and the amount of times and it, it, they they 100% saw this as a major because it does not happen. Like it, it disappears as the games go on. But that whole thing of he'll run to grab something and then this really slow slide down. That is so <laughs> painful to to endure because you're getting chased or right there and you, you you can't jump off the wall. You can't do anything like that. You're just... You have to kind of watch this slide and then take off again. Now, they also say like, you know, that anything that sticks out like two inches, that's what he can grab. But like, you're, you're not paying attention like that, you know, as you're running, as you're bolting. And like, a lot of that stuff doesn't, it doesn't work well. It's, it's frustrating. It makes a lot of the chases bad. Like, all, like running on the rooftop, for example, all of a sudden, I can't understand how the enemies are just as good at, at parkour as you are. <laughs> like, they're on top of you, like, straight away, and then those little, like, um, they're like the huts that you can hide in. Why, why, it should be my responsibility to jump into it and decide when I want to come out. Because I'm on alert, if you jump in and you just get automatically thrown out, like someone's yeah. in there, get out my gaff. It's like, it makes... No sense. It's, it's, it's annoying. It, 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 like when you're tr- running away in general, it doesn't really flow well. I, I think there's just, there's too much of a magnetic feel and a ton of error happens that is not the player's fault, I feel.
0: Totally. I, I totally agree. He's, when you want him to go one place, he can be pulled to somewhere else. And yeah, it can be very frustrating. Talking about the environments that Altair pootles about in,
2: I know you just like exploring the places, Josh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for me, like, I, I sort of still think that, like, there's something about Assassin's Creed 1 that's, like, still a bit magic. It's still really, really special. There's something about their... their depiction of that place and time it just feels so just particular and unique and I like like again I know I I sort of keep reframing our talk about this game in light of what these games would become but the reason I do that is because I actually miss when Assassin's Creed was Assassin's Creed there isn't there's probably still a little bit too much HUD in assassin's creed one i like it's funny that like the buttons are always in the top right and they always tell you what your actions are at any given time which I, I guess you kind of need to a degree but like the newer games are just insane there's just so much you know everything has those little lines coming out of it and linking it up to other stuff everything is like sort of spidering out like a like a mind map or something wherever you go going. and there is something there's there's it's there's a lack of clutter, or a relative lack of clutter in this first Assassin's Creed that just kind of makes being in each of the in each of the areas a real sort of uh, I don't know like a I want to say mind blowing but like a re- a real sort of eye opener. I very pleasantly can just spend time in Assassin's Creed One, uh, just sort of mooching around and sort of seeing. It's, <laughs> it's pretty part of the reason I don't mind the towers, you know, just seeing what I can see really. And just the little NPCs and their pathfinding and the way they do, really seem to just go about their day. And that illusion still hasn't really died down. And it's maybe difficult to realise now just how much that stuff just didn't exist before Assassin's Creed 1 in the way that we know it exists now. We never
1: mentioned that you can also ride a horse. Yeah. I just had to laugh when it says like, oh, you can fight on a horse. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So, long sword, be bear- swashbuckling kind of adventure you no, know, from side to side. I've, I'm, I'm all for this kind of thing, whatever grand. Never once did I have to use it. There was never a moment where I was like side by side with another person on a horse or any of that. So I didn't really understand why that was there. What was the point in it? It, it was just such a peculiar feature because you don't really spend a lot of time on the horse anyway.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I never fought on a horse, but I think it is worth mentioning. There's some good video game horses for 2007. Oh, brilliant. It's just the thing is the game doesn't, you're not required to use the horses all that much because there's a middle, like I mentioned, there's three cities in the game. There's a middle place as well uh, called the kingdom, which connects the three cities. But after... The f- is it the fir- after the first time you visit these cities you can, you, just fast, you, can, you can fast travel if you want. You can go in there and do the towers and whatever if you wish or yeah you can just, just fast travel. So like I think the first time I went to the kingdom I did maybe I might have done like I did a considerable amount if not all of the towers and then I was like well I'm done here you know, so then I just then I just fast travelled <laughs> everywhere. But yeah, that is what we thought of the Boom Boom, which is your combat and your just other bits and bobs, really other gameplay elements within Assassin's Creed. Uh, so now it is time to talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area in the game, at least according to us. So, Adam, why don't you start us off? I believe you don't necessarily have a mission. You have... A, and uh, uh, one of the cities that you wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's fairly quick and not really that major. But like, for those who have played this game, I'm sure everyone will agree that like, it's very repetitive. So to pick a mission, you're almost picking... The, the same mission nearly six ten times I feel like because you repeat so much of the stuff in it. But I I think that goes insane that like when you like you you lads played on PC and for reference I ended up looking at it I looked at PC footage and the game looks very good on PC. Um the game however does not look very good on the, the PS3 and I'm sure it's probably the same with the 360. It's very it's very muddy it's the the frame rate isn't amazing in it and uh it just like i like geez, i kept going back to the pc stuff and i was like god it's way smoother and obviously it's going to be you know but i think um when when i'm playing on the ps3 getting all because it's a lot of brown a lot of gray let's just let's just put that out there that's what really is the main color palette here and then i get to jerusalem and there was green and i was like oh Look at that. Lovely, a lovely shade <laughs> of green is in this land and it really did. It really did stand out to me. I was like, oh, great. Some green. And I, I kind of got a bit excited for a second because I was like, Jesus, is there actually more lush locations going to come yeah, in? There wasn't. That's your lot. <laughs> yeah, Jerusalem is the only place with a bit of, bit of a different change in colour
2: and, uh, yeah,
1: that's the thing that stood so out to me. It is,
2: it is quite striking art direction, yeah, which you won't really get again in the Assassin's Creed series. The colour the color filters are quite, quite bonkers. Like, they really go for it. It's, it's like, Arca's just silver and Jerusalem's just that sandy brown. It's very bold and kind of, yeah, don't really get it in a lot of games, to be honest. The yeah.
0: mission I wanted to highlight as the most noteworthy mission to me was... It doesn't have a name, but it is the first tower in the poor districts of Acre, uh, Damascus and Jerusalem. Because each of the, like each time you go to these cities, you go to the poor district and you go to the first tower. Now, I'll tell you what happens. So to get into Damascus, you ride a horse into town. You get a lovely establishing shot of, it, of the area. You do a save citizen activity, which is basically where a citizen is going, um, I'll save me, save me. You go over and you beat up four lads and the citizen goes, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> then after doing the save citizen, you blend in with some scholars to get past the guarded gate. Then once you're in, you go to the first tower, you climb up it and you synchronize. Guess what you do in the other two cities? The exact same thing. I cannot stress enough. Each time I entered a new city, I was like, "Are we? We're not doing this again, are we?" You do it three times, and every beat is the exact same. And it stands out to me because it highlights, b- b- like, my issues with the repetition of Assassin's Creed. It is in. Incredible how repetitive this game is yeah like, and i I remember this ba- like back in the day, this is how I felt, and I was coming into it, playing it today, I was like, it's probably going to be the same, isn't it, and i was it even blew me away it's like no it 's nearly worse than I remember we haven 't spoken about it much, but the investigation missions are, yeah, myself and Josh had a few more on p c but even at that <laughs> like it is. <laughs> The same stuff again and again and again. And it it basically boils down to, and you have to do these investigation missions nine times because there are nine assassinations, and it boils down to what's the quickest thing I can do? Because I don't want to do the same stuff over and over. So I would always try and find the interrogation ones because I thought they were were quick enough. Which
1: Which were hilarious because you just the person always been, you'd see the person in the end and you go where where are you going? Yeah. Like what wh- where where are you going? Because I'm just going <laughs> to absolutely destroy
2: you here now. This is just weird. Pickpockets were big time isn't
0: it? Pickpocket like it would just be what's the quickest things I can do because the variation and I know it's what, kind of what you're going to talk about Josh the variation not always but would sometimes come in the bosses and it I mean, even at that, it's probably, maybe I'm being a tad generous with a lot of them. But go on, Josh, tell us tell us, your, the, the level that stood out to you. I'm
2: going to play Devil's Advocate just ever so slightly. Um, and it's, 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 it's good luck as much as anything else. And I'm not going to say that I didn't find it repetitive, so don't worry. Um, but because I was playing this game, just coincidentally, not for Stealth Boom Boom. And I had it on the Steam Deck. I did all of this stuff <clears throat> in like a really, really chilled out way over the course of like a couple months. And it was like I actually just fell into a really lovely rhythm of like my flatmates were watching the TV. I'm just sat there on the sofa. And I just think I I basically just did everything and all it like I just set a waypoint and just, like, fairly in, like, mindless fashion, just go, oh, I'm just going to do everything. Just do it all the pickpocket in the-. And it was, like, checklist gameplay. But there's something attractive about, like, it's quite a bounded checklist. It's not ridiculously massive like Odyssey. It's just like a little sandbox with nice firm walls, and I know I can tick off all the bits. I, I, obviously, it is repetitive. I'm not defending that bit of it. But I just sort of fell into a slightly more pleasant routine of it, dipping in and out over the course maybe of a couple of months. But yeah, agree with all points. Um, The one that I wanted to pick out, the mission was uh, the Merchant King's Party, which um, for me is the most interesting, I think, of the nine assassinations. It's, um, uh, there's a, well, there's a big bad Merchant King um, who is humorously evil. um, And like lots of the villains in this game are like brilliant, like chin strokey, outrageously evil people. Um, it's the reason I chose this one was that it sort of has a nice little bit, a nice little slice of kind of everything that Assassin's Creed is, was at that time. So he is hosting a party in his, uh, palace basically. Lots of people cavorting, having fun, party atmosphere. But, you know, quite exclusive. You can't just uh, you can't just go in. you you got to kind of work out how you can get into this complex. So it, it involves a nice bit of parkour because you can sort of – the way I got in was that you can climb up an adjacent building, like across the street, and there's like a little bit of – like a crane with a little plank of wood in the air, so you can sort of hop onto that and then hop over onto the castle walls. And then it's got like – you know that thing that Assassin's Creed does, where <laughs> that like Ubisoft are almost afraid to give you the cutscenes. Like it's a cutscene, but you can still move Altair around inside the cutscene. You're just yeah, doing yeah. that on the ground level of this party, sort of blending in 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 in, in a way. um While this big merchant bastard gives a big uh, aggrandizing speech on the balcony, and he's the fella you got to kill, I should say. And it's just a really nice, like, moment of like, you know, I'm down here and he doesn't know I'm going to kill him. No one here knows I'm going to be a naughty boy in a couple of minutes. I'm just kind of walking around through the crowd, nicely jostling my way through, kind of reenacting what was in that first ever trailer in a funny old way. And there's a nice little twist where he sort of raises a toast and everyone's like drinking his wine at his party and stuff and he's poisoned the drink. And like everyone, you don't drink because you're a, you know, disciplined monk assassin. Um, he drinks and then everyone drinks and everyone starts keeling over and dying a, like a horrible choking death. And it's just like a it's just like a cool bit of like little shock dramatics, utterly predictable because it's suspicious how they're all drinking this wine at this exact right moment. But whatever they do. And then the, the sort of the, the reveal of, he sort of walks away having killed all these people. And then you've got to kill him. And the way that you kill him, you have to climb up the fountain right in the middle of the courtyard that this party's going on where all the, all the people are sort of gathered around. So you leap up this sort of angelic statue, then onto this little trellis thing. Then you leap right up to the high balcony um, and do sort of like a leaping assassination thing. At him. Just really, really cool. And like, I managed to do it, So that I didn't alert the guards and trigger a tedious, like I just sort of straight away just muller the guy and then cue the ridiculous conversation they have in the dream space. But yeah, I just sort of thought it's got everything that these game that this particular game like wanted to be at that time, all wrapped up in one sort of slice. So I just thought, yeah, that's that's that is Assassin's
0: Creed. So yeah, those are the areas or missions that stood out to us. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about a lot of the stuff actually Josh was talking about there when we discuss the story and if we have anything else that we want to mention as well on top of that. So yeah, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. All right, then let's get into the narrative of Assassin's Creed did it give us the same feelings as an epic novel or film? (laughs) I if I could be so bold I'd like to start us off lads and of course Colin before we talk about Altair I wanted to talk about the modern day stuff the thing that if you bring it up people are gonna go oh my god that was an (laughs) affront to God (laughs) the modern day things in Assassin's Creed were an absolute disgrace. Well, I'm going to say it to you and I'm going to say it in a low tone. I'm going to whisper it so nobody else hears. I think in Assassin's Creed, the video game that came out in 2007, the modern day stuff is pretty decent. All right? Ooh. I, I, I will explain myself. I explain. Don't jump down my throat, lads. Please, dear God, let me explain myself. So I didn't go on about the Desmond Miles modern day bits of Assassin's Creed too much when I was giving you the story synopsis. So I'll outline it a bit more here. And basically, how it works is that, on average, every two or three assassinations as Altair, you. The, you, the player, are transported back to modern day in uh, Abstergo, where you assume the control of the kidnapped bartender Desmond Miles. The ma- he's the fellow who links Abstergo to Altaïr, and ultimately the location of the Pieces of Eden, which is what the Templars want. And each time you're transported back, you're having conversations with the comically but wonderfully evil Warren Vidic, it pains me every time not to say Vidage. Or the helpful but a little bit boring <laughs> Lucy Stillman, who, as I said, played by Kristen Bell, Veronica Mars, Good Place, Frozen, Kingdom Hearts, blah, blah, blah. And every time you play as Desmond, again, I just, uh, midway point, just talking about the game that came out in 2007, talk about the wider shit maybe in a bit. But like here, Desmond is. I think it's pretty good. Like he's reacting to things for the first time and you're hearing these for the first time so he's a good conduit. Uh, You know, he he doesn't know what's happening neither do you. You're both uncovering the mystery at the same time. But he wants to know what Abstergo's endgame is. And there's a conversation he's having with Vidic uh, where Desmond Miles is talking about how some of the things he's coming across in the Animus he thinks they're historically accurate and I wanted to play this clip this is uh, what Vidic says to to Miles when Miles says "Yeah, some of this just it's not not what's in the history books so have uh, the first voice you'll hear is Desmond Miles second is Dr. Warren Vidic Some of the stuff I'm seeing in the Animus sometimes
5: it seems wrong untrue like the history is off somehow it doesn't it doesn't what mr. miles match up with what you read on an online encyclopedia what your high school history teacher taught you let me ask you something do these supposed experts have access to secret knowledge kept hidden from the rest of us there are books letters documents all sorts of source material from back then some of it seems to contradict what the animus is showing me anyone can write a book And they can put whatever they want on its pages. Anything. (laughs) Used to be we thought the world was flat. Some people still do. Yes, and they publish books about it. Or that the moon landing was a hoax. I believe there's also a book claims the world was created in seven days. A bestseller, too. Where's this going, Doc? The point, I suppose, is that you shouldn't trust everything you hear. Everything you read. What's that your ancestors said? Nothing is true. Everything is permitted. Yes, exactly. It's part of what makes the animus so spectacular. There's no room for misinterpretation. There's always room. Touché, Mr. Miles. Now that I've answered your question, can we begin?
0: That line about the book that says the world was created in seven days is a best-selling book. There's a smugness there that I absolutely adore. And a smugness in every conceivable way. There's a smugness in the delivery <laughs> of the actor, the, the character, which makes it, it, it makes it believable that a smart-ass guy in the lab who thinks he's cleverer than everyone, he'd have this pithy little line about the Bible. But also, there's an air of smugness in the line itself, written by the writer. Like... I can just imagine they wrote that and was like, "Oh, that's this good, is isn't good it?
2: stuff." Yeah, I'm going to hit him with this. Yeah. <laughs> this,
0: this is delicious yeah, yeah. stuff,
2: isn't it? Sass.
0: Yeah. And like uh, I I keep saying Vidic, I should say the actor, <laughs> uh Philip Proctor. He's having fun. He was having fantastic <laughs> fun. <laughs> Up against who he's uh acting with, I think it stands out even more because I Really enjoy Kristen Bell. I I watched Good Place start to finish. Really enjoyed it. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, is uh, I mean I haven't seen in a while, but I remember it being decent. I don't know if it holds up. Yeah, yeah. She's successful in her own right. She's in you know Frozen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Had she was Frozen before this?
2: No, Frozen was like twenty tens. You're it? right.
0: Like th- this may have been her getting her feet wet when it comes to voice work, and honestly. It sounds it in the performance. Think of your favourite Kristen Bell performance. Right. Now, absolutely strip it of every ounce of character and purpose. I think she is dull as fucking dishwater here.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I
0: have a clip where she's talking about quite a heavy thing. In this clip, she's talking to Desmond about how... Warren Vidic I think Desmond is saying you know oh, he's, he's an asshole he's whatever and uh, Lucy says well he, he saved my life and then she goes on to explain how he saved her life so I'll, I'll play this first and then I'll, I'll come back and talk about it.
7: They came in while I was sleeping three guys guns they dragged me out of bed God the worst part is I knew them one guy Richard we ate lunch together sometimes and now he was gonna They were cracking jokes. I tried to pull away. He hit me. And that's when he told me I was going to die.
5: Christ, what did you do? Nothing.
7: I kept telling myself it wasn't real. And then Warren was there, shouting at them to get away from me. And they listened. Jesus. He's not a happy man, Desmond. I wouldn't even say he's a good man, but he saved my life. They never came for me again.
0: And he promised they never would.
5: You're still stuck. You're working for these nut jobs.
0: But I'm alive. It's not bad as such, but it's just, it's absolutely lifeless. Like, here she is describing a fairly traumatic, and I use the term fairly, <laughs> <laughs> traumatic incident, and the peaks and troughs just aren't there at all.
2: Yeah. Like,
0: I don't know if I missed something in an email where she says she's, blocked it out in order to cope. And that's why she sounds flat. But I don't think I did. No,
2: I think it's just, I was looking at her filmography and like lots of the more interesting things she did, are like Forgetting Sarah Marshall was like 2008. So she'd only done like a like three really small films. Most of it was in TV, and but she was very good on TV. I really love Veronica Mars. I think maybe it's just one of those things where it's like, it's a new thing doing voiceover for a video game. And maybe it's like a weird thing for, for someone who's not done it. But yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's like weirdly stunted and quite like static and not emotive.
1: I, I can say like that. I disliked her. Like it's weird. It's weird listening to all those three characters just there. Right. Because I think throughout the game, I was kind of going, Oh Jesus, it's all a bit, is it all a bit, Neff or something I don't know what's going on here and there's one part in the near the end anyway where Lucy is kind of uh, saying to Desmond it's when everything is really going to shit now and he's just like hey and she's like she starts saying stuff to him like no not you can't But it's like this panic is all sitting in and I remember there and then going
0: "She, who's the voice
1: actor isn't bad for her is she and I was kind of Unsure of who this person was, no. So I was just like, oh, I don't know, because I always felt like Desmond was almost a bit too flat. And then I thought the, your man was like just a, a parody. <laughs> it was all a bit weird. But um, I didn't think she was bad, nor did I think the other two were that bad. I, I, I don't think anyone really stood out. There's something about their tone in general, it, overall it made it feel like I know, I know some people might go crazy here but I think it's the the room that they're in the whole time and the the general aesthetic and the the atmosphere is kind of there it felt quite Half-Life-ish yeah
2: yeah for sure yeah I think it's that it's that cutscene thing right it's like the weird like they sort of Half-Life did that well like, where like it had cutscenes but they weren't you were always in control it, it does kind of make me laugh that like Ubisoft kind of wants that. It wants that idea of like, but they, but it just has to have big exposition dumps and stuff. Uh, but it's like, yeah, you can, you can sort of press a little, press a little button every now and then while people are talking just so you can, which did you, did you, what did you guys think of that? I think it was such a weird little, like nothing mechanic. You just, you just press it whenever there's a glitch in a cut scene. You just Absolutely have to, weird. Just, just what the hell is that about? They want to zap you awake to make sure you don't go and put the kettle on. Right? I mean, they, for, for
0: the, for the listeners who haven't played it, yes. During a cutscene there'll be a glitch. And if you press as far as I can remember, any button, button, you get a different camera angle.
1: Yeah, it's just sort of nothing. (laughs) One thing to just kind of say about the voice, the voice as well, is that like, it doesn't necessarily help either when these conversations are all taking place in that one room. And they're all standing in awkward areas of the room looking at each other. And like visually, as I said, for me, it's not amazing so there's very little expression i don't know i think like even that the um clip you play column of of lucy talking to desmond and stuff like i feel like if they if that was in the game where they were sitting down looking at each other and she was just
0: using her hand gestures and uh, i mean perhaps but it was it doesn't her voice is still like blah an animator could zhuzh up the model as much as they want they're not going to get much out of what Veronica Mars has laid down in the
2: studio. Yeah, weirdly forgetful. The
0: main thing about the modern day is the mystery and intrigue. Every time the animus spits you out and you take control of Desmond Miles, you know, all right, I'm going to find out more about who Abstergo is, Mm -hmm. how they... Connect to the Templars or to the Assassins or to Altair or yeah. how I connect to Altair or the Assassins or the Templars or whatever. I need to figure out all this, all this stuff, and waiting for one of the, uh, uh, Lucy or Vidic to go home so that you can jump on their computer. Yeah, yeah. Th- like there, there is definitely a thrill there. No, there isn't a thrill in going around a large space that has two or three points of interaction. And, you know, you go to a place and you're like, oh no, nothing has changed there. And it's just a bit slow and that can just be a bit, can just be a bit cumbersome and annoying. But that mystery 100% pulls you through.
1: I, I definitely agree with you there because like, for me personally, when this, when I first experienced the whole modern side of it in, in 2007, I definitely was like, what's this? And then in my mind going why am I back here again? Why am I doing, why aren't I doing all the cool stuff that like I've been looking at for the build up of this game? Like what? what's it? So I was kind of like, just, it was going over my head. I was like, oh, I just want to just run around and do all the cool stuff. No, after playing the game, I found this the most interesting part of the whole game for me. I thought it offered this like, I I loved hacking the computers as you said and like uh finding out more information. I think it it offered this like odd sense of paranoia that was constantly going on. Um yeah, there was just there was just something about it this time around that m- made me made me just enjoy a hell of a lot more and probably I probably would enjoy. That aspect of it way more in the other games as well. Are
0: you gonna piss in our cornflakes, Josh? Are you gonna say, "Well, I thought I I'm with everyone else. The modern day stuff is rubbish. Has always been rubbish, and always will be rubbish."
2: <laughs> no, no, I I do I I I agree. I agree. I think it is at least in this first game, and I think also in like two and Brotherhood and the Revelations, even a little bit. I think the Desmond stuff is is pretty good and i it's easy to forget well now because it's just so bonkers now and i have no idea what's going on and now and there's like aliens and gods and magic and crazy stuff like but it, it you do forget like this really was like a real shock thing this was really different and it was really bold and it did were at least in this game you know i agree that thing of getting Yeah, people always complained about the um the modern stuff because it yanks you out of the the meat and the action of the game and that's true. It's frustrating that Desmond's you know not a badass. He's locked in a room, but playing it recently, I did kind of relish those points coming out of the Holy Land. Partly because, as we've said, it's quite repetitive, but you know, partly because it's like, Oh, I'll get a little chunk of uh, of the Chronicles of Vidic. Well, you know, I'll find out what he's got to say about you know cr- Christ knows what. But actually, it'll be you know basic sort of sci-fi madness but sort of quite entertaining with it and there's nothing like a good bit of nonsense
0: you know. The other part of the story then of course is Altair's timeline and a lot of Altair's story pretty feckin boring out of curiosity before playing it for this podcast I googled the phrase because I was like how many are there so I googled the phrase video games set during the third crusade <laughs> and it's essentially Assassin's Creed and a few strategy games and 4X games. Oh, yeah. That's pretty much it. Like, the time period, the setting, doesn't get an awful lot of love. So it's always good to jump into worlds and time periods that aren't covered loads in media, or at least in in this case, in video games. And, I look, like I'll say, I'm the furthest thing from an expert on the Crusades, first, second, third. Uh, I know, like I said earlier, like I know... England and Assassin's Creeds. Richard the First um, wanted to take cities in the Holy Land, so they headed that direction. They were going to have a pop at spreading Christianity, but then they faced opposition in uh, the form of the Muslim army from Saladin. You know, the 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 reason for most wars, religion. That that's my super basic understanding of it. It's cool when we get to experience something that doesn't come up a ton. In other pieces of at least the media we are consuming at that point in time. Yeah, you know? and <laughs> yeah for sure. I'm all right with you disguising education as fun. I, I, I love disguising education as fun. <laughs> um, but the thing is, if you're disguising education as fun and not, you know, drama or whatever, insert a different thing here. If you're disguising it as fun, then you've got to make the fun aspect fun. And. I don't know, like, here, the story is okay. It's not terribly deep or anything, and it ultimately revolves around two factions thinking two different things. The Templars believing they should be ruling the world. The Assassins believe freedom to, to think for yourself is very important. Yeah. And that, that's a fine, you know, sort of crux of the argument between the two. But there are points where I guess the game gets ideas above its not ideas above its station, but it it, it shoots for more and it doesn't land. Yeah. yeah. Like one yeah. example I wanted to bring up was the there's one of the assassination targets. It's what uh, it's, uh it might be like the seventh or eighth. He's quite late on. And he's called Jubair Al Hakim. This guy's basically he's he's He has his minions burning books in Damascus because he believes that if the knowledge of those texts could, like if they got in the hands of the people, then the people would get misinformation because what's in there is all false. So they plan to get rid of all the the writings of philosophers and, funny enough, future Assassin's Creed characters (laughs) in like Plato and Socrates. Mm. And they're going to replace their work with books that the Templars have written Mm. so that they can control what information is out there, right? Sorted. That's the Templars' plan. Then when you go in there, you stop. And it's one of the more interesting assassinations because like, you have to stop all of the book burnings and then you have to go take him down. But once you do stop all the the burnings, uh, you murder Jubair and you have a chat with him about this horrible thing he's doing. And I have the audio of the discussion the two men have in the digital heaven purgatory white room thing because uh, it's relevant to the the point I was going to make. So here is the clip of that. And the first voice you're going to hear is Altair. Second voice is Jubair. So take a listen to this.
6: Men must be free to do what they believe. It is not our right to punish one for thinking what they do, no matter how much we disagree. Then what? You of all people should know the answer. Educate them. Teach them right from wrong. It must be knowledge that frees them, not force. They do not learn, fixed in their ways
1: as
5: they are. You are naive to think otherwise. For which there is but one cure. You're wrong, and that's why you must be put to rest. Am I not unlike those precious books you seek to save? A source of knowledge with which you disagree, yet you're rather quick to steal my life. A small sacrifice to save many.
4: It is necessary.
5: Is it not ancient scrolls that inspire the crusaders? That fill Salahadine and his men with a sense of righteous fury? Their texts endanger others, bring death in their wake. I too was making a small sacrifice. It matters little now. Your deed is done. And so am I.
0: Here, Jubair is comparing himself to the books that Altair is looking to save. He's like, you know, what's the difference? We're, we're both sources of knowledge, uh, but you want it off me? What's that about? And this is after Altair is saying, you know, everyone should be able to think what they want, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And listen, a simplistic thought process from Altair, one devoid of nuance and one that doesn't account for, oh, I don't know, hate speech, but whatever. He says Dubois' death is necessary, right? One death to save the many. But when Altair, uh, he kills Dubois, he goes back to the Assassin Bureau in Damascus, which is just your kind of your, um, your safe room, basically. He's chatting to the fella behind the counter And Altair says something like, Jubair believed he was doing the right and righteous thing just like everyone else I've been killing. Uh, That's (laughs) weird. (laughs) Ah. These moments throughout that try to get Altair and by extension you to see some of the moral complexities in the people that you're murdering. But even you said it a a while ago, Josh, and I 100% agree. It's like, I don't think there's much complexity in these... Ca- they're pretty evil fuckers, <laughs> you know? They, they are like they are a bit moustache twirling, the, the majority <laughs> so, of them.
2: Some of them, yeah. No, they, yeah, for sure. On the whole,
0: sure. just,
2: I don't know.
0: A lot of it went out as easily as it went in because it's just kind of boring. Like your assassination targets, they're, they're not around long enough or they're not involved enough. For them to be elevated past basically what they are, just bodies for you to stab and kill. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Altair himself is sort of whatever, like the performances, the characters. Matter of fact, and I get it; he's a he's a stoic assassin, just climbing up the ranks after he's being demoted by his boss.
2: But I, it just didn't make me care about him. Yeah. Also, we should say it's quite; it's actually quite funny. Like. How much of an asshole Altieri is? It's insane. I mean, like yeah. he just starts the game and he's just killing people willy nilly for no reason in that opening mission. Like the reason he gets demoted is because he's just like. It'll be quicker if we just stab this guy in the head. Like he's just, like really, he's just like a hot-headed like douchebag. It's, really, it's funny. He's like not a very sympathetic guy, and then he just, we're supposed to sort of really buy in because that we're like, oh no, this poor guy got demoted. Oh, I hope he gets back up to to his former glory. And it's like, yeah, he got demoted because he's just killing people for. Not- for, like, for no reason. He's not a very good assassin at this start, really, is he? Like, I don't know how he got to that rank. He just breaks the creed, like, senselessly. He's like, I'll kill him. He's in the way. And the other guy's like, well, we'll just creep past him. He's like, Nah, nah, it's too slow. It's quicker this way. He's <laughs> like, what, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know if either of you had any other kind of wider opinions on... The Altair part. Did you have anything, Adam, on the Altair part?
1: Not at all, if I'm honest. It just didn't draw me in. No, didn't do a whole pile for me.
0: So I think that's all of our opinions on the story. And I'm pretty sure we've covered quite a lot of (laughs) Assassin's Creed. But this is typically the section of the podcast where, you know, if you have any last minute things you want to throw the hand up before the bell goes. I just wanted to very quickly mention how how proof of concept this Assassin's Creed is. It's effectively the subtitle of the game. You die instantly when you go into water here and I'm pretty sure you can swim at least on the surface in Assassin's Creed 2. Yeah, yeah. In this game you can use eagle vision but only in first person and while standing still.
2: Yeah. So
0: ultimately resulting in very rarely using eagle vision. Yeah, there was for no sure. point in it. Whereas in Assassin's Creed 2, you can use it in third person, you can use it while you're moving. Another thing in Assassin's Creed 2, more varied weaponry, like Brotherhood then uh, introduces the recruit- recruiting of assassins. You could hide bodies. Uh, maybe that was in 2 as well, I can't remember. You already mentioned earlier, Josh, the crowd blending. That's not in here. You have Shit. very set groups that you can blend in with in this first one. Like, the enhancements that are made by this series in the next two, three games. Oh, And, you yeah. know, it. It it becomes something else again, then a couple of games after that. But even just this era of Assassin's Creed... It's mad how much changes in such a short space of time.
2: The jump to Assassin's Creed 2 is like the textbook thing that you hold up for video games being different to films in that like the sequel is actually usually, well... That's maybe a little bit unfair. I wouldn't say usually. I get what you're
0: saying, though. Like, technically, it can often be... More,
2: more accomplished, and yeah, in terms of play. And it was the same with Uncharted too, as well. And uh, in fact, it's funny, Uncharted came out the same year. And it was also Nolan North, who's Desmond Miles, who's Nathan Drake and Desmond Miles. But yeah, like, the, the, those are that, that I always think of Assassin's Creed, which it's yeah, you're right, Like this is like... Assassin's Creed one point zero and then you really get, you know, everything it it needs this to launch off of in order to become, you know, the best version of itself. Down
0: here, Josh, you've written. I like the little Nintendo flourishes throughout. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know if you listened to me at the start. I gave you quite a thorough breakdown. It was it was Ubisoft.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you did, you did. Um yeah, there's a really there's a nice little scattering of like odd little touches and that like Ubisoft, it it should be known now. Like, and I think just Nintendo generally is just very, 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 very popular in France. If you look at like the Rayman crossing over with the Rabbids, you know, Mario plus Rabbids and all that sort of stuff. I, I think Nintendo is just a real guiding light on Desolée's work and on the studio's work, but like just, Altair being a big bastard and like getting stripped of his rank and all his shit. That's just what happens to Samus in every Metroid game. And then after everything, he gets one piece of his gear back and eventually gets back to the super badass. He was right at the beginning. It's just, it's just Metroid. And like, as well, you go back to, the same three areas again with your new abilities and like the new neighborhoods are defogged in those areas like an old Metroidvania map. There's also like a nice little uh, like flourish of like Zelda where you get like uh, every kill that you do, you have like the feather that you sort of drag through the blood, which I really like mm-hmm. as just like a nice little it felt similar to me that you get in 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 Zelda games where you have that sense of like the repeated like ritual it's 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 it you run the risk of being repetitive but there's also like a nice comfort in like oh, I've just done that thing and it fits very, very neatly into this other thing and I know what's going to happen and he's going to do the feather thing and then I go back to Masyaf and then I give it to him. And it's just this nice, it's like when you do a dungeon on Zelda, it's like, I've got the gadget for that thing, that helps me do that dungeon, now it's back to the overworld and I can, it's unlock this little bit over here. It's this nice little rhythm, this little sort of miniature loop of play.
0: That is what we thought of Assassin's Creed. So, lads, to kind of calm down a little bit and relax, let's play a game, but a slightly different game to one we've been playing the last couple of weeks. Every episode of the Stealth Boom Boom podcast used to see me test the gaming knowledge of my co-hosts with a simple game I used to call (laughs) Trivia Espionage Action. (laughs) I mentioned this on the podcast two weeks ago how we were going to be changing things ever so slightly and the more things changed, the more they stayed the same <laughs> because we're going retro and we're, you know, if, it don't, if it's not broken, don't, don't fix it, Josh. Indeed. And we are going to be doing a little game, myself and Josh used to play on an old podcast of ours. <laughs> and that game is called at least on Stealth Boom Boom, temporarily, unless any listeners can give us a better name, it'll be called Who Am I? And a much, the rule's much more simpler, right, <laughs> in Who Am I? Basically, how this works is, I give five clues to the identity of a video game character. And you, Josh Wise, and you, Adam Carroll, must give me the correct answer. All you have to do is say stop and then give me said answer. And given the nature of this podcast, the video game character in question will be from a stealth slash stealthy video game. And look, I will not listen to any complaints from either participant if they have a problem with the character I have chosen. You get the clues once and once only. So listen up and listen up good. Let's play, temporary name, Who Am I? Clue number one. When you hear me speak, you'll probably think I'm much older than I am. Clue number two. Actually, I should probably mention I'm pretty powerful. For example, I can make things appear where there was nothing. And I can move doors too. It's pretty cool. Clue number three. I've never attended any sort of formal education myself, but someone I'm quite attached to most certainly has. Mm. Clue number four. In fact, as soon as the connection I'm referring to in the previous clue was broken, I wasn't long for this world. Mm. Very, very conservative play. And finally, clue number five. <laughs> I've never seen the film, but It's a Wonderful Life has had quite the impact on me. Stop. Josh Wise.
2: It's, uh, it's Clarence from Penumbra, is it? And this week's winner is Josh yes! Wise.
1: <laughs> I, I nearly knocked a load of stuff off my table there because I heard it's twenty five I because this is the game we
0: talked about <laughs> yes indeed so yeah like I mean to give you an idea sometimes there'll be games we've done here sometimes we have a massive spreadsheet maybe it'll be a game a character from a game in one of those games
1: well you could have said that at the beginning Colin I
0: mean if you remember um, Adam I did say Given the nature of the podcast, the video game character in question will be from a stealth slash stealthy video game. And I also said I will not listen to any complaints from either participant <laughs> if they have a problem with the character I've chosen. <laughs> That's enough quizzing for this week. We'll be back in two weeks time with something similar and maybe with a name. Who knows? But now we need to take a quick little break and then we'll be giving you our verdict on Assassin's Creed. All right, now it's the time of the podcast where we are going to be telling you, giving you our final verdicts on Assassin's Creed. But before that, let me tell you what people were saying at the time about the game. So for GameSpot, uh, Kevin VanOrd gave it 9 out of 10. And they said, quote, huge, gorgeous world that feels wholly alive. Joyous mix of stealth, action and platforming and tons of small details will constantly amaze you. Uh, Anthony Birch of Destructoid gave it 5.5 out of 10, and said, quote, Assassin's Creed is a disappointing, repetitive game filled with horrendously long and unnecessary cutscenes, a boring plot, tedious chores, and significant difficulty problems. It's a game with a few great ideas, but absolutely no idea how to implement them. Michael Donahue of 1UP gave it B-, and said, quote, It attempts a lot of ambitious things, and it almost succeeds at every one. But it's apparent that these grandiose ideas may have been a little too much to master the first go-around, but hey, at least the groundwork is laid for a killer sequel. Right, Ubisoft? Michel Repares of Games Radar gave it 5 out of 5. And said, quote, with its riveting story, beautiful visuals and surprisingly lifelike world, Assassin's Creed is an incredibly deep, enjoyable game that kept us addicted from beginning to bizarre end. And finally, Hilary Goldstein of IGN gave it 7.5 out of 10 and said, quote, There are so many great individual elements, but they are lost among the myriad of poor decisions from Ubisoft Montreal. But lads, I say it every week. But it it bears repeating. None of those opinions matter. (laughs) The only opinions that matter are Adams, Josh's and Collins's as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Assassin's Creed. So how this works is that each of us will give Assassin's Creed a rating. And that rating is either a pass, a play or an espionage explosion. A pass, simply, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game or an espionage explosion. We really think you should play this game. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval or disapproval. So, let's give our ratings of Assassin's Creed. Adam Carroll, it's become tradition that you start us off. Would you like to start us off on Assassin's Creed?
1: I think this is possibly the hardest game so far on this podcast that I, that I'm going to have to rate because uh, like, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the franchise. I genuinely am. And re- returning to this one was very exciting. I was like, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to giving this a go and seeing how it is now in 2023, whatever. And uh, like, uh, like basically how, geez, how long are we recording it like, I didn't really have a lot of great things to say. <laughs> and like, <laughs> the thing about it is, it's difficult to just to just go, don't play this game. Just don't like, but it's an imp- it's an important game. It, it's an imp- it's an it's an important piece of video game history, I feel. And I think for anyone that is just genuinely interested in the franchise, uh, like, geez, I don't know who wouldn't have played this yet, really. But like, if if you're interested in the franchise. Is it fair to say to somebody, oh, uh, you should definitely play like, or, or miss it or just skip it and go straight to two or something like that? It's hard. It's a, it's a hard call because I don't I think the game is repetitive. I think uh, it has a ton of issues. And I do think the, the franchise gets a hell of a lot better as it continues on, even from the start of two. Like two is just such a big leap, as we've discussed. But like. I just don't know what to say about this. I think if you're really wanting to know about the story, do you just catch up and read up on the story (laughs) and just drive on? I I think that's, I would say it's okay to Hmm. do that. I've been thinking about it all week and I feel that I am going to have to say pass because it's not that the game is extremely long or anything like that, but I just... You play an hour or two, you get the gist of it. And I think from for the most part then, you just end up kind of criticising like I did. And uh, you, there's not a whole pile to really have fun mm. with. And it, it is just extremely hard to tell somebody to play the first Sass Creed in 2023 and I, I don't know. I think, I think I'm going to have to stick with pass.
0: I mean, I'm quite surprised you agonized over it. I didn't. I did. I thought it was clear as day you were going to say pass. Well, I know, but like, yeah, I, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it does seem clear as
1: day. I'm sure. Like, from you can go and go. Well, I'm definitely giving it a pass anyway. But it is important. It important important. Important
0: and like, I mean, look, your rating is your rating. And I was just going to say, like, important doesn't necessarily mean you have to. No, no, no. But like. I'm going to stick with Pess. What about you, Josh? What are you thinking?
2: I am going to give it a play. And I'm going to say that the reason that it's a play is that the say, the stuff that really dates it um, are also the same things. Time has had a weird effect on Assassin's Creed. And I think where the series has gone has, has, has had a really powerful effect. And it's a unique case, I think, on Stealth Boom Boom, where the very things that date it and, and set it apart are also the things that in the fullness of time actually make it more interesting. It's It, it really has become a, if you played any Assassin's Creed game in the last decade, this is now so different in so many ways from what you've played that it that it is compelling in its own way. I agree that the the story is actually really surprisingly interesting and, you know, not shit. And lots of the mechanics feel a hell of a lot more sort of grounded and weighty. And it's simpler and yes, it's repetitive and it's, you know, it's not it's not perfect, but it has now turned into a way more interesting game than many of its sequels, I think. Um and on on top of that, it's just still a, a beautiful place to be. And uh, yeah, like as as you sort of pointed out, that setting is still uh, a rarity and it is inherently compelling. Um, But I also just think it's just a good time. I mean, for me, like it, it doesn't suffer from a lot of the issues that, you know, something like you could look at sort of, I don't know, Tenchu and your games of that generation and say, oh, well, of course it's got camera troubles and stuff. It's just still a very, very playable game now. As I say, like I just sort of chilled out with it on a, you know, a nice little string of evenings on the steam deck and just, just had a whale of a time, really. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a firm play and I'd say, yeah, the importance factor as well. Not that you should browbeat yourself and go and make sure you study every single game we talk about on stealth, boom, boom, but, but it's hugely influential. Um, it, influential in its mechanics, but also just very, very notable for some of the stuff that we're, talk, we're talking about. How big of a deal it was! It's, you know, one of the last juggernaut blockbusters to be introduced, one of the most recent like vast IPs and h- the humble beginnings. You know, a, f- a firm, a firm play in the moment.
0: I quite enjoyed it for what it was, and what it is is the video game equivalent of. It's like It hits a spot You know You get that dopamine rush Mm. When you're Sitting atop the tower And you press Y And it does the swirl around And it's like Oh yeah (laughs) The actions you are doing In Assassin's Creed Are just so hollow And so repetitive But it fills a gap You know Stick on a podcast Or stick on a bit of music Play Assassin's Creed Climb a few towers Jump into a few hay bales have an all right time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's fucking boring as well, you know? Like, it's, it's just, there are parts of it that are so boring. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same thing over and over and <laughs> over. Yeah, yeah. Which is why, ultimately, I also end up on a pass. I spent, if I check my Steam, I'd have to open it. I don't have it opened. But I think, like, I gave this a, like, I did a lot of the towers. I, mm. I didn't shy away from doing <laughs> stuff. I think I put, like, 13 hours into this. Yeah. And just op- opening it here in front of me. I played it for 14 and a half hours. So how much I played of Assassin's Creed.
2: So gave it a good. It's a good whack, yeah.
0: So, like, again, it's that, in the moment, it's like, oh, yeah, this a uh, bacon double cheeseburger is pretty tasty but would I recommend people go to McDonald's? Like uh, if you're starved yeah sure <laughs> but,
2: but like well, I mean we should because we should also say obviously all of the play pass espionage thingy it's all as you say like up to how we want to define it Exactly I do think an interesting little thing is like when I say that I do mean play and not Play to completion. If 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 someone said, Shall I play Assassin's Creed?" and I went, "Yeah, for a couple hours," that would get a play from me. In my head, that's how I think about it. Anyway, um, if it was like, "Yeah, if play means should I play it through to the end credits, or or must I?" Then me, maybe not. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <was> but then, <laughs> again, then again,
0: that's that's the beauty of the the rating system. Is entirely up to. Little side note: the only. Time we have agreed, all agreed on what on something is the first, is the first game, which was Sly Cooper and the thieves Raccoonus. Ooh. Every other game has had differing opinions. Excellent, excellent. Which, which, is quite, which is quite, good. Yeah, it's quite good. So that's Assassin's Creed. Phew, A lot of chat. The, certainly the biggest game we have spoken about on Stealth Boom Boom thus far. So I know we went in depth on a lot of things. Hopefully you enjoyed it, whether you're an Assassin's Creed super fan or, or otherwise. But yeah, that's Assassin's Creed. We can put that to bed because we need to think about what we're going to be talking about on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Because on the next episode, we're going to be discussing a game that Ginny Wilkin of Game Grin called, quote, a stealth apocalypse game that takes some liberties with its setting, but brings it all together with strong mechanics that keep the player feeling vulnerable. Toby Roundell of A Big Boss Battle said this game, quote, perfectly meshes zombies with the charm of modern British culture. And The Mad Welshman, that's the name of the website, they said, quote, I find myself overall, looking forward to whatever evil thing the game is going to throw my way. Yes, on the next edition of Stealth Boom Boom, we're looking at a game that genuinely couldn't be further from Assassin's Creed if it tried. Because on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Basingstoke. stalk. Stoke. not the place, the video game. Mm. Are you familiar, Josh? Uh,
2: with the place, yes, but not with the game,
0: Adam. Similar,
2: never heard of us.
0: The place or the game, either. Both are <laughs> mystical. Uh, well, yeah, this is I, I, yeah, I can't stress enough, entire to- total opposite, but that's why I enjoyed. It's like Stealth Boom Boom, it allows you to cover the uh, games of you know varying sizes and and whatnot. And yeah, next two weeks' time. We'll be talking about basing So yeah, get that downloaded and played if you want to play along. It's on PC. But yeah, that just about does it for this edition of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. If you are just listening to this podcast and you are not subscribed... To Stealth Boom Boom well subscribe to us silly then you will never miss a future episode we're on Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Amazon wherever you get your podcasts we are there search for Stealth Boom Boom and get us subscribed you can also follow Stealth Boom Boom on all your various social networks just search uh, Stealth Boom Boom you'll find us there and you can also follow all of us as well, the three of us, on social media. I am at column underscore Hearn. Adam is at Adam Zoaks, and Josh is at Joshy Wise. So now let's now it is time for my least favorite part of the show. This is the part of the show where we bid the listener adieu. So say goodbye. Adam Carroll. Goodbye, everyone. Say goodbye, Josh Wise. Bye. And say goodbye, Colin Ahern. Sloan. Guffo.